stop, Kieran. Stop. That is already two intros you fucked up. I'm taking over. You're no longer the button pusher. Boop, 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 boop. Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. I'm not joking. Kieran messed up two intros in a row. I don't know why. I'm not even letting him get a word in. He's sitting across from me trying to... Def- <laughs> Episode 120. Ask a black belt. Lots of questions to get through. I'm excited. Kieran, my man, what is up? Hello. <laughs> you may now speak. I didn't actually technically fuck up the second intro because no one could tell. But this is the Ask a Black Belt. I, I don't even know what we're up to. I think number nine. Ask a Black Belt nine or ten. Something like that because, yeah, yeah we, I mean, for, the, for newer listeners, we do these episodes every ten episodes. Mm. But there's been a few in between where like episode 50 was a, hey, half century. Episode mm. 100 was like our hundredth episode. So we didn't yeah. do... Q and A's in those, but yeah, episode one twenty. Next one will be one thirty, and yeah, so looking forward to it. Before we jump in, let me just quickly say something that usually would we'll say I would say at the end of the episode, but a lot of the time people don't make it that far. <laughs> the episode is labeled "Ask a Black Belt," but that's just the the catchy name of it. You, the questions don't need to be just specific to me, right? So you can send in which people have previously done. If you've got nutrition questions for Kieran or, you know, SNC or questions about his course with Jordan or questions about fucking his time sailing a boat in the Navy, whatever, right? <laughs> it's not just questions for me. That's just the that's just the title of the episode. It's questions for us. Questions for anyone. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, everyone. You're, you're done talking. You're finished, Kieran. Okay. No. Yeah. We've got um we got quite a lot. So thank you everyone who submitted questions. Mm. Hopefully we get through all of them we've put aside some extra time so maybe it's going to be a longer podcast we'll um we'll see how we go we'll just chip away at it chip chip away 120 before we get in i have actually haven't seen you in a while because uh, you're injured actually coincidentally i'm injured too everyone's injured you get everyone's injured. injured you get an injury <laughs> yeah. everyone gets an injury but i'm still in the gym because I, I have to I have to teach you don't have a choice I, yeah i have a very small grade one tear in my lcl in my knee, mm. which uh, is fine, not that big of a deal. More, more, it's a on the LCL is not the ongoing issue, but I have an ongoing issue in that knee that I'm currently going to see a surgeon next week for. Coincidentally, tore my LCL in that same knee, but it's not too bad. More worrisome was that the MRI was kind of. They said, hmm, there's a lot of wear and tear in that knee for someone your age. I was like, man, what are you going to do? Jiu-jitsu. Uh, you, your ankle is yes. still a bit wrecked. Yeah, it's still a bit wrecked. Uh, when I initially saw physio Nick, he said that, you know, it would take six to 12 weeks. Like the, the, the medical timeline in studies for this type of injury is 12-week full medical recovery uh we were trying to get me back to at least drilling uh in in week number two we're in week number two now or week number three even um but yeah it didn't happen uh last week i tried to drill it was a bit too sketchy i was being a, i was being a bit like you know a bit sensitive on it and yeah so sprained ankle nothing super serious i should be back to drilling uh, maybe toward the end of this week and maybe even rolling in another week or so yeah cool yeah uh, all right, well, let's get stuck straight in. If we do get through the audi- all the audio questions, I know we, we only take audio questions. I do feel sympathetic for one of our listeners who 
tried multiple times to submit an audio question and yeah. he was messaging me back and forth and he's like, man, my phone, I don't know what's going on, but every time I record it, it's then just, there's no, it's not recording. So hopefully if we get through these, I want to get to that question as well. Cause if he's yeah. had technical difficulties, I feel for the guy. Makes sense. Okay. So first question is from Chrissy and it's about uh, some mental preparation. Hey guys, my name is Chrissy. I am a blue belt out of Tacoma, Washington. I have a question. So I'm wondering what is some good advice you can give for mental preparations for upcoming tournaments? I competed twice as a white belt and I'm doing my first tournament as a blue belt. And even just thinking about it makes my heart start racing. So just wondering if you have any good recommendations for what I can start doing mentally to prepare for my tournament. Thank you. Good question. Uh, that is a really good question, Chrissy. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, so, yeah, some people really struggle with the, the mental side of competition. Some people, they don't, right? And uh, it can be a, a make and break factor. You can have – I've trained with multiple people who have been in the gym. Like, they would just murder, you know, previous, current, and future world champions, but then themselves, when they went and compete, like, they would never even make the podium, right? <laughs> Not because their jiu-jitsu wasn't good enough, but, you know, they fell apart on game day, so to speak. And it is a big side of, of competing not just in jiu-jitsu, but in any sports. That's why there's sports psychologists and, you know, I think even back in the day, big names like, you know, uh, like Michael Jordan would call you know, uh, Tony Robbins and whatever before a game. And so even big names struggle with the mental side of, of competition. Uh, but I can give you a few things that work for me. I think at the end of the day, you'll have to find a certain sort of it, thing that works for you. So obviously talking to Chrissy, it seems like it's not just going to be the case of, uh, you know, you just one day get over it. And what I mean by that is some people just never have an issue with with competition. The the feeling that you feel when you feel I could be wrong, right? Actually I'm but I've had this told to me from other coaches and and I've read it, but I have not called a psychologist and fact checked this, right? Let's get but, Jordan Peterson on the phone. <laughs> but, Let's confirm. But I believe the, the neurological feeling you have when you're nervous is the same as like adrenaline, but it's how your brain is interpreting those signals. So some people, like they get nervous, but like they interpret it as like adrenaline and, and excitement. And, you know, I used to have training partners of mine in Brazil who they literally said, I love the feeling of being nervous. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like nervous is a negative word, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, who likes feeling nervous? It's sadistic, bro. Yeah, you know, so obviously that's not the case for Chrissy. So we need to find essentially some, uh, some hacks that mm. can help you negate some of those. So I'll give you some that work for me. And then uh, we'll see if, if they're applicable for you and you might find what works. So some simple ones are just finding what state of mind you like to be in before you compete. And this is very common for a lot of combat sport athletes. So you'll come across a lot of people in jiu-jitsu, boxing, MMA or whatever who in you know kind of embrace this 
hatred towards their opponent, even though they actually don't hate the person. That's their method of, of psyching up. They really are, you know, have that angry look on their face. Like Merigali's known for that, like looking really pissed off and like he wants to hurt you and whatever. But that's just like the, the psychological sort of tool that they're using. Some people don't. Marcelo Garcia is known for kind of essentially, you know, sleeping on the floor at ADCC, them calling his name, him not waking up and someone being like, bro, you're up. And he's like, oh shit, stumbles onto the mat, submits the dude, you know, like not everyone needs to embrace that kind of real, like, you know, you see those guys guys and girls at the tournament that are doing that whole, like, you know, slapping their quads and their legs and their biceps. And they do that big stomp <laughs> thing. Yeah, stomping. And <laughs> so you might need to like, embrace that character that mm. might be what works for you you know some people you know like just being a bit more relaxed and chilled and not really uh you know necessarily feeling like they have to hate the person so that's one thing there's a few other tricks you can do more leading up to the competition that that's going to help your your mental state going into it the first is making sure you have good preparation. So this is going hand in hand with the, the psychological and the physiological side of it, that if you physically feel well prepared, right, you're gonna mentally feel better about it because you know deep down if in your training camp to compete, you could have done more. Like that's just one little, there's multiple areas that doubt can creep in from, but that's just one little area that you can, you know, if you know you didn't really prepare well for this competition, that kind of already leaves you feeling not super mentally prepared for the competition. So having a good preparation, I, I think is key. I used to have a training partner who didn't necessarily have to cut weight to go down a weight division, but he always did. I said, why? Why don't you just, you know, fight this weight? And he said for him, he did it because it, it was a way that he knew that he was like committed and he had prepared properly and he had made sacrifices. And it's like the more you sacrifice for it, the more you want it, the more you're willing to risk for it, you know, and the less you think about the, the what ifs in my experience. So a good preparation, right? As we lead up to the competition, I believe there's a lot of, strength in like positive affirmations so i don't mean you necessarily have to stand in the mirror every morning and say love yourself <laughs> you are worth it <laughs> maybe it's maybelline right? you, don't, you don't have to you don't have to do all that but uh i i would personally do because i chrissy can relate with you a lot i don't mentally feel that great about competition i'm not someone who feeds off that feeling of, of nervousness but um so i if I'm preparing for a competition, particularly a big one, I'll have a, I'll make a, uh, a bullet point in my phone and I'll read them every day. And they'll say something along the lines of, you know, um, you know, have faith in your technique or, you know, sometimes I like to, let me give an example. You know how you see fighters, particularly more maybe in UFC where they there's like trash talking and all that. They'll say something along the lines of, you know, um, oh man, like he's he's got no chance. I'm going to knock him out in the first minute, like blah, 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 blah. They don't necessarily believe that. It's just this this kind of fake it till you make it mm -hmm. 
constantly putting that that positive reinforcement in your in your mind. So the last super fight that I did, I told all my students leading up to it that I was like, man, I'll submit him in two minutes. And it wasn't a way of me taking a dig at him and saying, and then I'd have people come up to me like, yeah, but man, like, you know, you got to, he's a black belt too. Like you got to respect the fact like you, and I'm like, yeah, I actually, I know all that. This is just almost a facade, a way of, of trying to force confidence into myself. How many minutes did it take? Unfortunately, four minutes, three and a half, I think. Anna. So I was, <laughs> actually, yeah, during the match, once we were in it for a couple of minutes, I started being like, fuck, I, like I got to submit him. I told everyone it would only be two minutes, you uh. know? Um, so I do a lot of positive affirmation, you know, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be, uh, here's a better way to put it. I essentially try to gaslight myself. Yeah, that's what right? I was thinking. So I'll constantly, like every day I'll read, you know, you're, you know, you're fitter than them. You're faster than them. You're stronger than them. You're you, Gordon Ryan. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. You know, you're, you know, you're the best blue belt in Tacoma, right? You're the, you know, you're the best, uh, you know, whatever. Yes, you know, I'm going to win pants. A lot of visualization, right? A lot of, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, one of my old training partners, Levi Jones-Leary, does a huge amount of visual, mm. visualization. Yeah, I even had a note to, to reference uh, Levi, because Levi spoke about that explicitly in uh, episode 112 of this podcast when he was on with Alanis. Uh, yeah, and that's that's something that he really touched on and spoke about visualization. And, and if he's done it a million times in his mind, when he gets there, it's it's not new because he's already done it. That's right. In his mind. Yeah, 100%. It it's, it's, it's almost like a poor man's version of a flight simulator before mm -hmm. you can actually go and fly a real plane. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll do a lot of visualization. So think to the competition, what are the most nerve-wracking parts? Like sometimes weighing in, right? But usually it's as a waiting. whole. It's in the bullpen. Yeah, it's, it's that it's in the, the bullpen or that standing on the mat waiting until yeah. the ref calls you on. Yeah. So, you know, I'll on the – on the daily leading up to the competition, I'll read these positive, essentially bits of doubt that creep into my mind, I'll then write the opposite of that. So if I have doubt of like, you know, oh, you know, your, your guard's shit, I'll then write a positive thing like you've got the best guard in Sydney mm. or something, right? And, and so I'll read those daily and then I'll do visualization. I'll literally just sit there and I'll visualize the, you know, walking out onto the mat, shaking their hand. I'll visualize what my plan A game plan is. Mm -hmm. Oh, pull guard, sweep to mount, you know, armbar, whatever it is. I'll visualize stepping up on the podium, getting my medal. And exactly like Levi said, once you've done it a million times and you've gaslit yourself, there's almost no other alternative, mm. right? Um, that helped massively oh yeah another tip you can do and this is a, a full-blown you know psychology hack is that it's proven that no matter how nervous you feel to someone looking at you you don't look as nervous as you feel mm -hmm. right and it's proven that knowing that fact knowing the fact that when you're nervous you're not perceived as being as nervous as you feel Knowing that fact lowers how nervous you feel, which I think is a crazy like yeah. little psychological hack. So just simply knowing that it doesn't matter, Chrissy, how nervous you feel, people don't look at you and think you're nervous, right? Or they don't think, you know, if you're a million out of 100 nervous, they might look at you and go, oh, she's 50 out of 100 nervous. Like <laughs> you don't look as nervous as you're feeling. Yeah. And when you know that fact, that lowers how nervous you feel. Um, 
so I think without crapping on too much more, uh, that's um, th- yeah, they're the ones that, that. Oh no, sorry, and I do have one more. Um, and another one, especially when you're just competing at, at, at blue belt or it's not a super fight, you know, you don't know your opponent, so you can't you can't prep for them. If you're yeah. if you're at black belt and you're going to worlds and you know that you know whoever's in your division, you know that Mika Galvale's in your division, you know the Rotolo brothers are in your division, you can have strategies and you can prepare for them if you were to match them. But when you're just doing a local competition or whatever, you have no idea who you're going to fight. People waste a lot of energy getting stressed out thinking, what if they do this? What if this? What if that? You can't think like that. You know, it's, you just can't go down that rabbit hole. There's no, there's nothing good there at the end. You have to instantly replace those thoughts with a positive affirmation or think about something else. What are you going to eat after you've made weight? Like you had you, it's kind of like when someone says, man, you can't sit there and you know, why just think about all the negative thoughts of that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend? Like you just can't like stop thinking about that. It's not healthy for you. It's a similar sort of thing. So don't think about what they're going to do. You just, they're just a grappling dummy. They're just the most sophisticated AI grappling dummy in the world. You've just got your game plan. And, and you, you're just trying to implement that. So maybe, Chrissy, you play Spider Guard, right? Like you can't worry about what they're going to do. You don't know that if you pull them into Spider Guard that your opponent is going to be standing there going, shit, Spider Guard is the one guard that I can never pass. This is, oh, I'm fucked. Or you don't know if you're going to pull them into Spider Guard and they're, they're going to be like, haha, one of my training partners is the best Spider Guard yep. player in the world and yep. I'm just going to pass this like cake. Yeah. You don't know, right? So you, you can't waste time thinking about it. You've just got to have your game plan and try implement it. And if they're better than you, okay, they're better than you and they win. It changes, of course, when you're then looking at the person you know you're going to fight and you can prepare a specific game plan yeah. for them. But... Um, let me summarize those again, but they're the things that I think help a lot, right? So um, I do a lot of positive affirmations, a lot of visualization, you know, making sure, like reminding myself that I have faith in my technique, you know, like don't doubt your technique. You know, if you're good at arm bars, arm bars work, right? Don't psych yourself out being like, oh, but if I go for this, they're going to know I'm going for it. No, they're just a, a, a grappling dummy, an AI super advanced grappling dummy, right? And you're just trying to implement your game plan. If you have good preparation, that's going to help you a lot, right? If you need to, if you need to assume some sort of character, like as if you need to get kind of pissed off to get psyched up, or you does it work better for you being a bit more chill or relaxed, right? And shut out any of these negative thoughts. You can't even let that. Uh, it's hard. It's easier said than done, right? That's again why some of the most successful athletes in the world still have sports psychologists because it's not easy to do, right? But I think that's what's worked for me the best in the past as someone who also can struggle with the mental side of competition. Uh, Like you said, Chrissy, sometimes even just the thought of doing it, once you finally clicked the registration button for the competition and then these nerves just, but you just, you just can't like, even if you change the subjects, play a video game, something you can't, don't even entertain the negative thoughts. That's not healthy for you. And it takes discipline, but you, got to shut it out you have to you just have to go no no even if you put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 like you can't I'm not listening you, yeah you can't let it in yeah give yourself some positive affirmations have faith in yourself you know Pre- you know prepare well they're just a ai grappling dummy have your game plan right 
And man, you, you, yeah, you hit all the major points. Like I had like five or six points and you, you nailed every single one of them. Um, in a very concise 20 minutes. Yeah, right? literally uh, 20, <laughs> 15 minutes. Um, well, it's a big question, It is, right? it is. I no, mean, no, it's good. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I think that the whole like, don't think about your opponent. I would say, take that one step further, just to, to you know, bring it to the modern generation. Don't look them up on Instagram. Don't, yeah, that's don't also do not that. healthy, right? It's not because healthy. I'm so guilty of this. I tell, I've, I've given this advice, you know, since like my third competition or whatever. Um, and even from my bodybuilding days, it was advice that I, I ad- adhered to. Like, don't look them up, don't look them up. But I still do it. And, yeah, and, yeah. and not my most recent comp, but the one before that, I looked up my competition and, and just the first round guys, um, because, you know, after that it doesn't really matter. And I found this one guy who um, posts a lot of like instructional content. Or he's a blue belt, but posts heaps of stuff on Instagram. Obviously he wants to be a coach and I think he teaches his kids class and he has all of his game plan on his Instagram. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I saw that he was going to pull guard because he has these competition montages and every single time he pulls guard, I know his game plan. It's a shoulder crunch into a sweep, gets on top and then, you know, goes for um, like a, a back take from out or whatever. So I knew he was going to pull guard. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so go in, just get ready, pulls guard, boom, straight into a pressure pass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah. So that's the one time it helped me. <laughs> yeah, because it's not really helpful usually because- No, don't no, do no, you know, no one is posting the times they lose. Like, so yeah. it doesn't matter how shit they are. Mm. If they're posting- um, they're only going to be posting photos of them looking massive in the gym, lifting weights or photos of them taking someone down. And then even then that's not necessarily a reflection of showing that they're good, especially if you're talking about looking up a white belt or a blue belt, a lower belt, Yeah, don't you do know, it. It, it might just be a reflection of how shit their opponent was. Yeah. You know, no one's, <laughs> no one's posting their bad stuff. Yeah, on, exactly right. Uh, uh, yeah. It's like, it's like ha- being traumatized from a breakup and then looking up your ex. They're only going to be posting photos of them having a good fun time. Yeah, They're exactly. not going to be posting the photos of them being sad, missing you too. Yeah. Like don't, you just don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. Right. And, and we all know as well, like in jujitsu, if you just took on face value, like Mikey Musumeshi, you would assume you could beat the crap out of him. Yeah. You know, like we, and we, there's plenty of big Jack dudes who are terrible at jujitsu. Like mm-hmm. we know that, that uh, yeah, it's more than what someone looks like in jujitsu. Definitely. So let's go on to uh, question two, and this one is from Joe. Hi, my name's Joe. I'm a white belt, and I have a question for Adam. Um, so on one of the podcasts, I I heard he had um, some bucket handle tears, one on the left and right knee, and he had surgery for these as they locked up. So. Uh, That recently happened to me in training and it fully locked, uh, couldn't straighten it at all and it was locked for 12 days eventually. Um, So I had it repaired and um, it's kind of looking at at the moment like a six-month return back to jiu-jitsu. I'm just wondering because obviously there's there's lots of people, I I am a physiotherapist as well, so that that should help a little bit, but there's lots of different um, kind of uh, ideas on return to jiu-jitsu and um, time that should be given towards it and i'm just wondering in terms of reoccurrence rates i know there's a these things can come undone they can the good the good work of the surgeon can can come undone if if you know the right forces are applied at the right time so i'm just wondering were there any problems after the surgery was it was it a repair that that adam had or was it um uh, taken out so obviously if it's taken out there's not so many issues but it causes problems later on down the line hope that makes sense but yeah just wondering if there's any um, longer term issues that he had after the surgeries. 
Thank you. All right, Joe. So, uh, yeah, I can speak from definitely a position of experience with this <laughs> this question and this sort of injury. Uh, and we spoke a little bit about it in the episode a couple of weeks back with with Nick, the, our physio, who was on. So quickly, just for people who are like, bucket handled tear, what the hell's that? They'll just give a quick summary of the injury that Joe's talking about. So in your knees, you have two of these things called meniscuses. You have a lateral meniscus and a, and a medial meniscus. Uh, one on the outside of your knee, one on the inside, and they're essentially a layer of cushioning that sits in between the the, the bottom of the knee and the top of the knee, right? Uh, and when a, a bucket handle tear, what happens there is if you imagine the meniscus is, imagine it's like a sheet of paper that's sitting between the knee joint. When the knee joint bends, right, which so essentially the joint is opening, sometimes you get this meniscus that is, actually I'm going to give you a better, better example. We've got, a, we've got a sandwich, okay, and we've got deli meat on that sandwich, okay. okay, and your meniscus should be flush to the edge of the sandwich, right, so there shouldn't be like, you know. So is the meat the meniscus? The, the meat's the meniscus. Okay, the deli right? meat's the meniscus right? and the sandwich is any. So imagine if the bread was smaller than the ham. Right, and you've got ham that's sticking out the edges of the sandwich. Ham sandwich, right? <laughs> gotcha. So that's not how your meniscus should be. You know, the meniscus is the same size as the bread, as the sandwich. Mm-hmm. But you can sometimes get this excess meniscus. So a bit of the <laughs> a bit of the deli meat is now outside of the sandwich. That's not good. And, and when the when the joint bends, right, so it opens, that bit of ham then folds in on itself. So folds in half. And then the knee joint closes. So you've gone right. from having essentially one layer of meniscus to two. Because they've stacked, they've folded yeah, in half. It's folded yep. in half, right? That little excess flappy bit that was hanging outside the sandwich folded back inside the sandwich. And obviously your knee can't handle a like double, you can't just put an extra layer of meniscus in there. So that's that locking out that Joe's talking about. And sometimes people have this injury like the first time it happens and they'll, you know, Uh, if it's your lateral meniscus, it'll happen with an external rotation sort of position with your knee bent. So let's say like butterfly guard or X guard or sitting cross-legged and it'll happen, it'll fold in and you'll be like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. And then you'll straighten your leg and as you straighten it, it kind of like squishes the flap back out of the knee and it Mm. goes thunk and pops back out and you're like, oh, thank God. So that's what Joe was talking about, that it locked out for 11 days. Like this flap would have folded in and it just stayed stuck in his joint. So he wasn't getting that relief of it popping back out. So some people might have this injury, this bucket handle tear, and it occasionally pops in and out. Uh, Typically surgery is, you could then already go the surgical route, but the surgery typically happens when it folds in and refuses to pop out. So, you know, what Joe's talking about, and then he had to have the surgery. The surgery, you have two options. You have the option where they unfold the flap and then they stitch the flap down onto whatever the bone or I don't know exactly where it stitches to. So they'll stitch the flap down to essentially stop it from folding back in again or they'll trim the flap off. So they'll cut it out and remove it. So that little bit of meniscus that had been smushed outside the sandwich, they cut it. So now the ham is flush with the edges of the sandwich again. Okay, so it can't happen again. There's no flap to fold anymore. So I had this surgery twice, both lateral on my knee. So the outside of my left knee, the outside of my right knee. I had the meniscus removed. Like Joe said, uh, 
This is less problematic because you then can't have this injury happen to you again because the meniscus – well, you still have meniscus. It's just much smaller now. It there's not enough of it. There's no flappy bit to fold in. However, it does create problems later on in life. And quite ironically that Joe sent this question in, I had an MRI last week for a different issue in my knee. Uh, and <laughs> one of the things they said was, oh, the meniscus is really small, which is obviously due to the, the previous surgery, which is now you know a decade ago. But they, they said something along the lines of, your knee has a lot of wear and tear for someone your age, which um, it doesn't phase me that much. Like, I mean, I, I don't sit at a desk all day. Like I, I put a lot of load through my knees. So it doesn't bother me, but yes, it can create problems later in life. Unfortunately, Joe, to be the bearer of bad news, I have not really come across people in the jiu-jitsu world who have had their meniscus repaired instead of cut off and not have it happen again. You're a physio, so you know the amount of dynamic movements we do in jiu-jitsu, the amount of awkward load we take through our knees and ankles and hips and, you know, way that people can be pushing and pulling and that load goes to your knee. Uh, just the reoccurrence rate, in my opinion, is pretty high. I don't mean as in that means you'll get back on the mats and a month later it, it, it goes again. I mean, Aaron, who one of our brown belts at the gym, he had his repaired and I think it lasted like th three years or something, three or four years before yeah. it went again. And then that neck now surgery. major issues with it all the time. It, well, yeah. Well, that's his other knee now. But oh, then, shit. Yeah, but then this this meniscus he had repaired. Uh, then that's his good, his the bucket, quote good knee, right? Yeah, the <laughs> good knee would now be the one where he had the, the flap cut off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones that if if you – okay, obviously I'm not a surgeon or a physio, but if you were asking me this question as in a, you know, you don't do jiu-jitsu, somehow this injury happened and you're not going to go back to doing jiu-jitsu, it would be like, oh, repair it. But I think repairing it for jiu-jitsu – and if you're going to continue to train jiu-jitsu is like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Just it's buying um, your time until the next surgery. Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm wrong for your case, Joe. And um, again, you being a physio, you know a lot of the preventative work you can do to avoid this sort of injury. But um, yeah, I'd also be curious to know if it was your medial meniscus that you had done and, or your lateral and how did it happen as well. Um, but yeah, it's a relatively common injury in jiu-jitsu. Uh, as far as knee surgeries go, it's relatively simple. It's nothing compared to like an ACL or something like that. But yeah, that's what I had done, Joe. I had uh, both of my lateral meniscuses removed, not removed the whole meniscus, but the flappy bit removed. I've never had an issue since. I've had other issues in my knees that are, have nothing to do with the meniscus, but you are correct. It can cause issues later on in life recent MRI and I'm 36, right? Le recent MRI said there's a lot of wear and tear in my knee for someone my age. In saying that, I also have a student who's 30 and needs a full hip replacement. True. Right? So you're, I mean, and that's not even due to jujitsu. Like he trains jujitsu, but he would have been having a hip replacement regardless. It's just because he trains jujitsu and he's a brown belt, he's probably looking at that hip replacement when he's 30 instead I of 40. I think that you know? original hip injury occurred at white, at white belt. Oh, him. really? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So it happened at white belt and he just kept on keeping on all the way to brown belt and now it's it's 
caused yeah. him too I mean, much street yeah. uh, drama. From what from what he said though, like he was he's got shit. He would have anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah. just it was, it was not a matter, a matter of, of if it was when. Yeah, instead of happening at thirty, it might have happened at forty or fifty it, or yeah, something. Yeah. But the jujitsu was. But like I a said catalyst. to him, I said I would argue that well, you're going to recover from a hip surgery at thirty better than you would recover from a hip surgery at fifty. Very true. Right, like yeah. you you. Rec- you get to a certain age. That's where a silver lining, bro. That's a silver lining, bro. <laughs> but when he is fifty, he, yeah, it might be even. I don't know. I don't. Once it gets replaced, I fuck it. I yeah. Don't know. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, Joe, thanks. Thanks for the question, man. I hope your rehab goes well. Do the rehab. Uh, you know, take your time when you get back on the mats. Mm. Yeah, you know, avoid the positions for a little while that put a lot of load on the, the you know whether it's your medial or lateral meniscus. I hope the repair holds. You mm. know. Um, yeah, but yes, that is my experience with the injury. Yeah. Let us know how you go, Joe. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Next question is from Riley and this is a bit of a fun one. Hello, this is Riley from California. Love the podcast. I want to know what is your favorite no-gi attire? Are you spats guys? Do you like shorts, long sleeves, something flamboyant? Let me know. Adam is definitely a flamboyant spats guy. <laughs> I love that question, especially because how it starts. Like the first two words, I thought it was like a like a bot, like reading it. It was like, hello, love the podcast. Like it sounded like, oh, it like was, an AI voice. Yeah, 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 it sounded like an AI voice. Thanks for the question, Riley. Um, yeah, I'm like, the, I, I hate all the not all the flamboyant rash guards and that, but I'm not into that sort of stuff. Such a boomer. No. <laughs> You're such a boomer, why, dude. Why? Like, why do I have to wear something that you looks don't. like- You don't have to wear it. looks like vomit to look at. You don't have to wear it, but just don't be critical of those that want to express themselves by wearing different no-gi attire. Man, look, there's no buts about it. If you're wearing a T-shirt that's shit, I'll tell you that's a shit T-shirt. You know, I'll also tell you if it's a good T-shirt. I'll just let you know straight up. Okay, um, well, you've yeah. never said anything about any of my T-shirts, so I'm confused. I like your Vantage shirts. They're nice. Yeah, okay. Um, no, yeah, I, I went through a little bit of a phase of wearing spats, but I don't particularly like them. I just don't. You sometimes wear them, yeah. Yeah, very rarely. Mm. I think also, uh, I mean, I'm not, ripped with 2% body fat. So like spats are just not very like comfortable. Like I just, I mean, I don't find leggings comfortable. I'm not one of those people who, uh, I don't have the physique to go for the whole like skin tight rash guard look. You know how something, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like for example, Yali, one of the guys in the gym is, is very low, low body fat the percentage. dude's jacked let's just yeah, say it yeah and so and he likes that super like the rash guard looks like it's painted on you know <laughs> whereas it might be. you know i wear not baggy rash guards but definitely not like the super yeah. tight ones because i mean those are like a more of a loose fit yeah and yeah. it's not even necessarily because i'm self-conscious about not having a six-pack i also just don't like the feeling of mm. I, and I, I wonder if that's gone back to my younger days of where i grew up in australia area called Byron Bay that's kind of known for hippies and smoking weed and all that. And then I grew up like surfing, yeah. yeah, surfing and skateboarding. So I always had like baggy clothes and like, you know, shirts that were four sizes too big for me and, you know, jeans that were massive and a chain connected to my wallet. And Parachute all that. So, pants. Yeah, and that's doing right. the hammer time. So I'm not into- You grew up in the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not into the, the tight fitting stuff. Uh, 
Yeah, so that's why I just don't really like spats. Maybe if it's really cold, but I don't know. I just don't really like them. They bunch my shit up too much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then so it's even the same for the shorts, you know. So then my no-gi shorts, uh, it's not like they need to be – they're not baggy like basketball shorts, but they're not like, for example, the shorts Craig Jones wears, Mm. I don't wear those no-gi shorts. They're super short, right? They are short. So I'm not into those. And if I were into those, then I would be wearing spats, right? Because they're super short. And then in terms of of a rashy, I I don't mind long sleeve or short sleeve. I'm happy with both. I actually am not phased either way. Funnily enough, I don't really care. And then in terms of its look, same as my wardrobe, I'm more just sort of... Boomer, boomer style, plain, no, I just, plain and baggy. I just don't need, <laughs> like you have this rash guard that has got- um, The scramble one. The, yeah, uh, this scramble yeah, rash yeah. guard. It's, it's like it's, digital patterns. Man, it hurts your eyes to look at it. <laughs> it, 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 looks, it looks like if you're someone who wears glasses, it then is like you're not wearing your glasses. Or if you're someone who doesn't need glasses and you put your friend's glasses on, like- that's what it looks like. It hurts your eyes to look at it because it's like out of focus, but meant to look like it's 3D. And it like, I hate even, I mean, that throws me off. When you're wearing that and we're rolling, I'm like, man. I'm moving around. Yeah, like, oh, where is he? Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. four of him. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, oh, I don't mind right. cool. It is such a plain rash guard. It's so basic. Have you seen some of those crazy ones that people wear these days where they're like some crazy ass patterns? I'm talking like psychedelic patterns. Like maybe they're like lime green with all this crazy stuff on yeah. them. Yeah, or like not, the rainbow I'm not ones into it. But it's like, I mean, put it this way. This is probably the perfect way to describe it. If your rash guard looks like a rash guard equivalent of a tap out t-shirt, I'm not into it. <laughs> like the designs of tap out t-shirts and that are just so gross and yeah. cringe. Tap out so and old. I know yeah. it is, right? But I mean, it's like that first, it's yeah. people who know what tap out is, they know what I'm saying by saying a tap out t-shirt. It's mm. a very particular style of design. Yeah. And that, like if that it's punk it, style, if yeah. it's that on a rash guard, I'm not into it. But I'm not against cool, funny rash guards. And, yeah, you know. I want more. I want more like wacky sort of rash guards and and nogi stuff. I want. I'm into people like going going ham and like you know getting these crazy patterns and and just wacky colors and shit. Because there's something about a dude like the Tenth Planet guys are known for their crazy uh, nogi attire, right? There's something yeah. to be said about like a dude with just like unicorns all over, like pink unicorns all over the rash guard and then just is an absolute killer. It's, I think the, the, the dichotomy there, like the juxtaposition of on one hand, look what they're wearing is like this crazy stuff. And on the other hand, they're an absolute weapon. You know, yeah. I think, I think that's really cool. But uh, Craig Jones has this rule when it comes to spats. I think he calls it the four layer rule. There needs to be at least four layers between your junk and my junk. Yeah, it's the so, best rule. So do not wear spats without shorts, guys. Well, but like, if you're a guy, no. But hang on. <laughs> Let me just flat out say, you know, that's just because they could have underwear spats. No, nah, man, it's not then, good enough. Like that would still be four layers. But my not argument is enough. like, I agree. The underwear does not count yeah, as a layer. Yeah, guys, <laughs> you just can't wear spat. You just, you can't wear just spats. No, nah, man. Put some you, shorts over there. You straight that. up can't. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's some guys that do. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna not roll with them, but put some shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit boring there, Riley. Like, you know, I like cool designs and stuff, but nothing, you know. I'm yeah. not into. I'm not going to be wearing a Spider-Man rash guard. Not that. I'd not that I. I mean, I'd say guards. it looks cool because I like Spider-Man. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm not going to wear it. And 
I don't know. I like it a bit more chill. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to expand my wardrobe. Um, and you know what? While we're on the topic, I think that we should be able to wear pink geese. No, you can't wear a pink gee. All right. Why well, why back with the pink geese? I had <laughs> I have to keep like dropping it in and eventually I'll wear you down long enough that you'd be all right, just you. And they'll be like, all right, just okay, you can wear it too. All right, everyone can wear it. All right, guys, uh, you're no now, yellow geese. You're now only allowed to wear pink geese. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some like programs for like uh women's empowerment in jujitsu, instead of white belts, they get pink belts. Have you seen this? No. Yeah, no. they're like they they uh yeah, it's for like programs like, you know, women in jiu-jitsu. And I think um, Jess Fraser does it. Right, with, uh, with in, girls in gays. I think so. I think I saw – uh, hopefully I'm, I'm right here in saying that I, it was her post where all the like the the people that are trying jiu-jitsu the first time had like these really bright pink uh, belts for them. And yeah, it looked right. sick. It was awesome. <laughs> I want a pink belt. <laughs> all right. So next question is from Dylan. Before I ask my question, shout out to Nick P for putting me onto this podcast. Chess bro has been awesome for while I'm in the tractor. Sorry it's noisy, um, but I'll just yell at my phone. So um, my question is, for some of us who do not uh, come from jiu-jitsu or combat sport acquainted families, uh, we might find ourselves having to almost justify enjoying combat and fighting to a layperson, which is very difficult. Uh, especially if they have a strong negative view of combat sports, like my entire family. Uh, what's your advice for approaching these conversations when you have to be nice and can't tell them to just uh, not get fucked? So, yeah. Cheers, guys. Uh, have a good one. <laughs> I love at the end there where he's like, where you, have, where you can't tell them you have to be nice and you can't... Uh Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell that Dylan tried not to swear. Yeah, and then send it, bro. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dylan. Uh, Dylan yeah. gotten onto the podcast from our man Nick P from any from New Zealand. So that's an accent there. If people are a bit like, yeah, what's this? I can't understand this dude. No, his accent <laughs> no, wasn't that good. strong. Uh, yeah, Dylan, good question, man. How do you sort of explain what we do or why we do it to people who? don't understand it, don't train it, or uh, anti-it. So like a lot of things in my life and specifically jujitsu-wise, I like to describe things in analogies. That's kind of my shtick. That's what I like to do. Away we go. But I think if you're trying to explain it to your family, you know, trying to get them on board with it, you know, you've kind of got to try, put it in a different example that they'll understand. So one of the ways that I'll explain jujitsu and the addiction of jujitsu to to people is I'll say something along the lines of, man, like if you have good training partners, it's not about like beating each other up. It's kind of like a a real life version of a video game. So think back to when you're a kid and you're playing Mario Kart with your friends and you know, you're you're winning the race, but right before the finish line you get hit with a blue shell or something and they win. It's not like, you know, you that yeah, you'll be pissed off, but it's like that kind of pissed off like, oh let's go one more race, you know, like we go again, you know. And I find good training partners in jiu-jitsu it's kind of like that like it's friendly competition it's not about trying to hurt each other and beat each other up no you don't and want to hurt each other you go anyway not to hurt each yeah. other yeah 
and but you know if they get the better of you it's for me at least it kind of feels like if i lose to a friend in a video game you know playing street fighter or something and they beat you you're like yeah when the fuck up you know let's go again you know it's like that that friendly healthy competition side of it uh you know you can give other examples i mean i think one of the best ones to try to explain it as well to to people who are anti it is you just preach the whole self-defense side of it. Yeah. Uh, and because jujitsu compared, I don't want this to turn into a, you know, jujitsu versus other martial arts, but uh, it really is the, 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 the differentiating factor between other martial arts when it comes to a self-defense point of view. Because if if you if you if I get into an altercation with you and you, you know, square up with me like you're gonna start boxing me, you know, like I can run away. Right? If you if you pull out a knife, I, like I can run away. Right? But it, it it all changes drastically if you tackle me or grab me or, you know, something like that. So what if let's uh, let's create this scenario where what if the altercation you're in is someone you don't want to hurt right what if the altercation is with a drunk uncle and you don't want to punch them in the face or, or what a drunk if, or a drunk okay <laughs> <laughs> wow you get one bad. of those kieran that was bad. <laughs> um what if i always tell this uh story i was once in a situation where i was essentially having to break up a fight but what well, there was a woman attacking another woman and I didn't like, and the woman who was the aggressor was my size. I'm six, four. Right. So a big woman, what was I going to do? Like, you know, the karate kicker in the head, like, no, but jujitsu allowed me to defuse the situation by grappling and holding on without, you know, hurting someone. Right. Or, you know, the other argument people always make is, yeah, but like you don't want to be on the ground in a self-defense situation. Yeah, no, but you know, if the fact that I train jujitsu and you don't try hold me down, I bet you I can get up and run away, right? Yeah. Like the fact that I know how to get off the ground, you know, so you can, Dylan, you can preach like the self-defense aspect of it, you know, uh, as a, as a, why wouldn't you want to train it? Why wouldn't you want to have these life skills? Kind of the same way that no matter how much your kids don't want to go to swimming classes, you force them. Because it, well, at least in Australia, right? I know some parts of the world, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but in, you very rarely meet someone in Australia who doesn't know how to who, swim. Who is Australian. Who, yeah, who is Australian who doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. Like almost never. Well, there's school pl programs where you do swimming. Yeah, it's you, that important. You, it's like in our school. Yeah, programs. because for those who don't know, it's something like 99% of the population in Australia lives within mm. 100 kilometers of a coastline, right? If you mm. look at the density population of Australia. All on the coast. Um, it's all swimming on the coast. Swimming is a big part of the culture. Yeah, so I could count on one hand the amount of Australian. I don't actually, I don't even think I've ever met an Australian who can't swim. They probably wouldn't admit it. <laughs> or they wouldn't admit it. You know, so you could, you know, it's like, it's a life skill. Yeah. Right? Um. But yeah, man, in terms of getting them on board with how fun it is, like there's way worse addictions that you could have, you know, like it's a relatively healthy addiction. You have to do something physical anyway with yeah. your life. People, I've seen people have worse injuries than the most severe jujitsu injury because all they did was sit at a desk all day and now they've got three bulging discs yeah, in their back. Yeah, they need to get their discs fused and shit like yeah. that because their posture is bad and 
they yeah, sit down for 10 right. hours a day. So yeah. I would prefer to tear an LCL in my knee like I yeah. did last week from training jiu-jitsu because you, especially as we age, shit's going to fall apart in your body yeah. regardless, you know. Um, I don't know if that helps, Dylan. It, obviously, it's a bit more... You know uh, what? Open. Just send them this podcast. Yeah. If you want to convince your family, <laughs> get every family member you know. And this goes for everyone out there. Get every family member you know to listen to every single episode write of this a, podcast. Write a review. Right, write join, a review. Join Fo- Patreon. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> no, yeah, hopefully that helps, Dylan. But yeah, I guess it depends, you know, yeah. on... It'd be an interesting conversation to have in person because, you know, I'm D- sure maybe, maybe like, you're listening yeah. to this and you're like, man, I've told them that. And then they said this and like, yeah. so, well, so we, we need a blow by blow. We need a, we need a counter arguments. Let's set up a debate. Actually, can you have a conversation with your family, plant a little recorder, illegally record, record it, record the whole conversation <laughs> and then send, send it, to, it us. to us. And we will do a breakdown analysis on it. Um, we, yeah, I, I wrote out some points for this and it was, this is a hard one. <laughs> is that all you right no 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 i wrote a bunch of other stuff man. i thought that was funny what? um yeah it's hard to explain this like it's hard to explain the value of jujitsu to someone that hasn't tried it and i think that you you find this a lot with people that you know don't really traditionally fit the jujitsu mold because it's a type of person that jujitsu attracts normally like the the standard the the average jujitsu goer um but then when you find someone coming into jujitsu that doesn't fit that mold it's really interesting to see like after the first class they that it's like their eyes light up and they go oh my god i didn't i didn't know it was going to be like this like i was told to do this by you know maybe it was my therapist or maybe it was like this person or a friend of mine but you know it's not until after they're like oh i get it now and it yeah. only takes like one session yeah and you understand yeah. yeah i mean and obviously it's not going to be for everyone yeah but you know nothing's for everyone, like mm. nothing's know. for anyone. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, yeah, I mean, hit us back with more info if you feel Dylan. I'd be interested to see. Like, is it just sort of like casually your family don't get why you do it? Do they passionately hate it? Yeah. Is it does it cause a rift within your family relationships because you train jujitsu? Yeah, we like, need to know, know why. What 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 their position is? Is it like they they're like, oh, why would you want to go cuddle with sweaty dudes? Yeah, do you know? Or, do they think yeah. it not? You know, do they think it's in air quotes people who say like, "Oh man, it's so gay." What do yeah. you like? Uh, are they giving you a hard stupid. time like that? I mean, or is it, are they pacifists and they're like, "Why do you want to invoke violence in this?" Yeah, world? you know. Then you can kind of argue that knowing jujitsu, you you are you you become a pacifist because yeah. you know you unless you're Herbert Santos. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that other guy that's like? being called out from slapping everyone recently. He got banned from ADCC because he's... For slapping? Yeah, he slapped this dude in the face and... Well, I know last... Not the one that just went, the one before. Cyborg got disqualified for slapping. No, this guy got permanently banned. And he's he's like some nobody on... He's an athlete. Obviously, he's a a pretty good athlete because he he was ADCC. He lost his match to someone and then he just flipped him off and slapped him and he's getting in his Instagram war. This wasn't the one where Murillo got banned because... No, 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 it wasn't. I don't don't think so. I didn't even hear about this. This is a new one. I don't know. Whatever. I'm I'm butchering this. Um, Anyway, next question. (laughs) This one is from Henry. Hey, guys. My name's Henry. I'm a white belt training down at Absolute MMA in St. Kilda. Um, love the podcast and just wanted to ask if you could have dinner with three combat athletes, who would they be and why? Henry, good question. And shout out to Absolute MMA, Lachlan Giles, Jim. Yeah, nice, man. Uh, you're in 
very, uh, very good hands down there. With Steamed the, company. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome <laughs> not like the scumbags we have up here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll get to roll next year, Henry. Um, I was speaking to Lockie. I believe this is public information now because it's at least on his and Livia's Instagram. Livia's pregnant with their second child. Um, and I was talking to Lockie the other day and I said, man, I'll try and make it down because I think, I think they're having a girl. I think she's due in May, I think. I said to Lockie, man, I'll try and get down before she's born because obviously your life will get a bit, you know, turned up. When are you going? Down. I'll go with you. Yeah, I don't know. Next year. So, but That's I, it. Beyond <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu podcast is going to Melbourne. <laughs> but I, trip. I say it to Lockie all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've... Uh, Saturday? I moved back from Brazil like six years ago. And I've trained it absolute once since I moved Set back. Set a date, and, let's go. And when Lockie was here a few months back, I was like, man, this is the first time we've seen each other since I six years ago. Like, we should go in March. Let's go, go in March. March. All right, yeah. we can go in March. So yeah. I leave in April. So well, let, me, in let me find out what's going on with my knee surgery next week. Nah, I don't yeah. worry about that. We'll no. go in March. <laughs> what's the flight? Um, yeah, good Your question. You go, <laughs> you go first, kid. Okay, so I cheated with this one. I, I found this so hard. I was like, oh, three? Only three? This is bullshit. So, I mean, I'm... I'm going to like narrow down my three at the end because, you know, I'm a man of integrity. Um, <laughs> so I will narrow it down, but I want to talk through my, you know, who I chose in general. Yeah. Okay. So for BJJ, now this changes all the time. Uh, like, because I try to think, oh, who are my favorite grapplers at the moment? Or, or who would I most want to talk to in, in grappling? So if we're talking about my three in BJJ, <laughs> they're all from the Danaher squad, um, the New Wave rather. Uh, is Gordon Ryan, you know, don't don't hate me, I'm a fanboy. Um, John Danaher and um, Giancarlo Bodoni. Um, but in thinking about that further, I'd probably just narrow it down. Now he said athlete, so I don't know. If John Danaher counts as an athlete. If we're if we're really playing it by the rules, he did say three combat athletes, and technically Danaher's a coach. Cross him off the list. So it's going to have to be Gordon Ryan out of that out of those three. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> MMA. So I would, I, I went to MMA next. I would go with Israel Adesanya. So I think he's a legend. I think he's funny. He'd be, you know, he, he'd have a lot, lot to talk about in terms of like marketing yourself. Cause he's a brilliant marketer. He's, you know, got an awesome YouTube channel. So that there's a lot we could talk about there uh, as well as talking about his, his experience in, um, in UFC being like the superstar that he is. I'd like to talk to uh, Volkanovsky as well who is um, the, the Australian UFC champion um, or Michael Chandler. So there was a toss up between those two. And again, similar Michael Chandler, I just think he's like really entertaining. Um, and then I also floated the idea of Mike Tyson. Now I put Lex Friedman in there, but he's not really an athlete, but he is a black belt, but he's not really a combat sport athlete, like a professional. Um, and Tyson, Tyson counts, but he's retired now. <laughs> uh, so here we go. So mine would be number one, Gordon Ryan. Number two, Israel Adesanya. And you know what? Number three, fuck it. I'm going with Mike Tyson. And those why, why those three? Oh, okay. So Gordon Ryan, I'd want to talk to him about like obviously jujitsu technique and just pick his brain. And I, I think it'd be interesting. And it would be interesting to sit with, down with the guy and see what he's like outside of his persona. Like I've heard him on Joe Rogan, uh, but that's still like a public forum and he's totally like himself because it's hard to maintain this persona for three and a half hours with joe rogan um if not if you're a psychopath well i don't think no, he joking. is and and he wasn't <laughs> like he's a different person when he was on the podcast like he was really respectful he was really like mature and, and he spoke really well and i would like to sit down with him and just see what he was like in person outside of the 
you know, the, the, the lights and the glamour and the, the screens, like what he's like behind the screen is different to who he is in person. And, you know, it's pretty evident that he's putting on at least somewhat of a persona uh, and a character. And, you know, all the, <coughs> the top professional athletes these days that market themselves in combat sport do something along those lines or have some, like, shtick about them or some angle um, and why I'd want to sit down with Israel, I think I already explained that to talk about yep. like the way he markets and obviously he's very like one of the best fighters in the world. Um, and I'd say Mike Tyson because fuck man, he's an interesting cat. He's had a wild life. Um, he's, he's really hard to understand on podcasts. Like I find it difficult cause I'm a little bit hard of hearing. So he's really like soft spoken and he, he sort of like his words sort of slur a little bit when he speaks. So I find it hard to really understand him. Um, but despite that, I would, I'd love to, to just chat with him and, and, and talk with, with Tyson. Why not? Yeah. What's yours? So my three is, yeah, Mike Tyson is the, is the, oh, bullshit. the, the first person. <laughs> Have you read his biography yet or what? So yeah, a while back we had an episode being like talking about, Oh, he had a, Mike Tyson yeah, had a he biography. Yeah, he should have an autobiography. He's had such a crazy life. And then we're like, wait, he's got two of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've never read them. But yeah, uh, for the reasons that you stated, he's just had a very interesting life. Mm. Um, you know, he's had a lot of adversity in his life, a lot of mm. success in his life, a lot of failure in his life. And like, then a rebuild. Like, yeah, yeah, and you know, he's had, you know, tragic things happen in his life. Mm. Um and I just think he's a, a very interesting person that would um, that would be amazing to sit with and 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 talk to and yeah. So Mike Tyson is definitely up there. I actually have no jujitsu guys on my list at all. Um, I thought you might do that. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. Uh, yeah, Kieran, I'm leaving the podcast. So I don't really, <laughs> I don't really like jujitsu anymore. No, I think there's for me. It just I mean I've. I've done it. Like I've spoken to so many of the the big names in jujitsu. I don't mean that is in a wanky way. I just mean I've been in the in jujitsu for a long time, and you know, you've already had dinner with all of them. Yeah, kind of. That's what of. you're saying. Um, so so yeah, Mike Tyson. The second is um, Jordan Burroughs. Oh yeah, the wrestler. Yeah, who's like, uh, 2012, I think, Olympic gold medalist, six-time world champion in in wrestling, yeah. one of the best freestyle wrestlers. That would be more to talk to him about. That would be more one of those. I don't know anything about him as a person. It would be more just to talk to him about wrestling, and you know, and wrestling in the Olympics, and you know, mm. that would be more. <laughs> not essentially like well, kind of I just want to have a private with him it just happens to be over dinner I guess like, <laughs> I'd, just like to talk, I'd just like to talk to him about wrestling and training and Jordan now that you finish your steak let's do some drills yeah yeah, yeah. yeah just wrestling mentality uh, yeah. you know uh, and yeah it's just one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and um, the third one I was stuck between two so um, one would be Kabib because he just seems like a... Because he just smash. Yeah, because he just smash. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just... He's kind of like the newer version of GSP for me. Like GSP is in like... He didn't trash talk and he uh, was always really respectful and whatever. And Khabib's kind of like that, but obviously his English isn't that good. But It's gotten a lot better. Yeah, it's it has, it has. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd just like to talk to him, you know, and I've read stories or heard podcasts of other people talking about what it is 
what it's like now um, training under Khabib, like Khabib as a yeah, coach. Yeah. And so I, I just think he would be- um, He's crazy hardcore cool. yeah. as a coach. I've yeah. seen some videos where he's like telling people, he's like, get the fuck back in there or get your plane back to Russia. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> um, but the other one that I was torn between was, and I've written this down because I'm probably not going to pronounce it cor- correctly. Oh, is, this is um, for. You is, cheat. Uh, cheat? <laughs> uh, excuse me. Hey, one, hey, hey, two, hey, hey. Three, Four, whoa. five, six, seven. You had eight. Whoa, 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 whoa. I narrowed it down. <laughs> I narrowed it down. <laughs> Go on. What's your, um, what's your bonus one? Is um, This isn't dinner though. This is a coffee. Okay. <laughs> Who would you go to coffee with? Is, um, You've blown your chance for dinner. Uh, t- Tareg, Tareg, Tareg Hamedi from Saudi Arabia. He is the, the guy who in the Tokyo Olympics got disqualified in the karate gold oh, medal match. Oh, yeah, I for, saw that For, for kicking too hard. Like he knocked the fucker out. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it was a whatever the Japanese word they use for it. It's considered a whatever foul yeah. and disqualified him. So the dude who got knocked out got the gold and, and Tarek got silver. Now I looked into why he was disqualified and why that's a thing because apparently in points karate, if you can't control your power – it's seen as a negative. Yeah. So you need to be able to control yourself. And so that, in other words, ridiculous. just fake getting knocked out and you win. Yeah, you just pull. Like, so you so pull in other kick. words, you so no. So what I'm saying is, in oh, other words, right, you, you just hit. you just go do a, a crash course with the you know Brazilian, Italian, French, whatever football team is in soccer. Learn oh, how to take right, a dive. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you let someone kick you. You take a dive and you win. And you're a gold um, gold medalist. And it would be more just sort of to talk to him about you know, hey, has it because I kind of, when I started martial arts when I was younger, started a martial art that was a bit more of, a bit more, a lot more of that sort of just like fakey martial mm. art. And then went into more- Aikido. Uh, yeah, Hapkido, same thing. Whatever. Whatever, same whatever right? Did you and or did you not have to wield a sword? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but I split them into combat sports and martial arts, yeah. you know? So I started in a martial art, but then went into combat sports, went into Muay Thai and then- jiu-jitsu yeah and i would more just to talk to him be like hey has it changed your opinion about karate or martial arts combat sports like you know because for me when i found muay thai and jiu-jitsu i was like oh this is fucking real like this Mm. is actual combat sports you're actually punching kicking you know grappling submitting yeah and there's none of this like pulling your kicks and stuff and you know i'd be interested if if that's changed his opinion about the sport or combat sports as a whole. Yeah. And if you don't know what Aikido is, just check out McDojo Life. McDojo Life. It will show Aikido you. Aikido is Steven Seagal. That's yeah. what Aikido yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Aikido is um, very interesting. There's one they posted today of, of this recording. Uh, and there's this like old dude. I mean, they're all like this, but this, this is old dude. He's like 70. And he's got these young guys and he's just like throwing them with his force. Like they come up behind him and grab him and he just like puts his arms up and force, like, you know, using fucking Star Wars level force field, just throws them and they're like, ah, and they're tapping out and shit. And it makes me wonder why, what motivates the young guys, right? They, surely they know that it's bullshit. What motivates them to do this? Now, yeah, it's, it's peer pressure, right? Yeah. It's like there's a... It is peer pressure. It's got to be. It's got to be like they don't want to embarrass this guy. I've spoken yeah. about this before, but it's worth repeating very, very quickly. There's a guy on YouTube. He used to be an Aikido black belt and he realized that it's all bullshit. So he came over to jujitsu and he like tried out a bunch of martial arts, settled on jujitsu, right? And he's spoken about it in the past. He was one of the dummies that pretended. And he said like, you know, there's this guy, this super high level Aikido master that came in from Japan and he was the, the demo. 
uh, and you know the, the Aikido master held his hand over the dude, dude's face and was like, "Oh, try and get up." And then he, you know, got up and he said, "No, no, no, you have to try and get up this way." And then he he realized, "Oh, right, I'm meant to not be able to get up." And he was so peer pressured, he didn't want to embarrass this like uber Japanese master, so he pretended that he couldn't get up. And he even said, like, he knew what he was doing. And that at that moment, that's when he realized, "Oh no." What have I dedicated <laughs> the last 10 years of my life to this yeah. horseshit? Yeah. Um, it's bullshit. But yeah, Henry, if you, thanks for the question. If you, if you happen to watch a little segue here, if you happen to watch the, the podcast episodes on YouTube, opposed to Spotify or whatever. Now from this episode on the new channel or yep, not? From this episode. Yeah. So we, we forgot to talk about it at the start. We should have spoken about it at the start. We'll speak about it at the end. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Subscribe to our YouTube. Yeah. So, Previously, the episodes have been hosted on Kieran's YouTube. It's been a lengthy process. They've been migrated onto uh, like its own YouTube channel now, the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu Podcast YouTube channel. So if, Henry, you happen to watch the episodes there, I'd be interested for you to comment your three. Well, anyone can comment the three people they would like to have dinner with, but you yeah. asked the question, so you're the only person who gets... No. <laughs> who would you have dinner with? What three combat athletes would you have dinner yeah, with? Yeah, I'm actually interested to see what other people would choose because I think... You know, I I spent a little bit of time thinking about it, but m- the more that I think about it, I could I could pick up another three. Really, Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> The Undertaker, <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So thanks for that, Henry. Next question is from Aaron. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure listening to the podcast. I really appreciate your insights. Wanted to ask a quick question here in regards to learning. Um, and I suppose more specific to learning in concepts. I'm one of those guys who can get to the end of the movie and forget the whole premise. Um, So sometimes when going through your typical drilling, learning a move, uh, getting towards the end of the the session, I might forget some of the steps at the beginning. Want to obviously develop my game as sound as possible and really trying to figure that out. Any tips on best ways to learn? I know that you guys talk about journaling at the end of your sessions, uh, writing down what you learned in that lesson. But by the time I would get to that point, I'd forget a lot of a lot of that. So a- any tips here, guys? Uh, appreciate it as always. Cheers. Awesome question, Aaron. I, I mean, he forgets what happened by the end of the movie. I forgot the question. Ah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, Dunkle. Isn't that what the one oh, said? Drunkle. 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 Uh. Um, yeah, no, good question, Aaron. Yeah, so, okay, if we take journaling off the table because you've kind of forgotten by the time you get there. Uh, well, the next best would be uh, is your instructor cool with you, like, videoing when he's filming the techniques so then you could watch it after, uh, you know. Bro, have you read my points? <laughs> uh, our gym, for example, we have a, uh, on our website, we have a portal that our members can log into and not every single class is is recorded and, and put up on the website, but multiple techniques are recorded and put up onto the website. So, you know, um, that's a very niche sort of thing. It's not like yeah. every gym is going to do that, but essentially imagine like, if you've ever seen MG in action or something, it's like that, but just for our students, right? It's That's funny. My point was literally advantage. We have a video library where all the techniques <laughs> are taught in the class. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, aside from those, conceptually, right? This is going to be a tricky one because I know nothing about the way your instructor teaches. I, liked, I like to teach a lot 
conceptually. And the reason I also like to teach with concepts analogies is because if you can find a way that someone can associate uh, something in jiu-jitsu that is abstract or difficult mm. to understand. Can relate it to something they do understand. That's yeah. right. It, it, it then makes it almost almost concrete, mm. you know. Um, so, like, I'll give one, I don't know, this is one I say to people that falls on deaf ears in the where our gym is located, but I talk about sometimes your ability to, you know, if you're on mount, how you maintain that position and move and i say i was like has anyone ever ridden a horse and no one in our gym has <laughs> but if you have ever ridden a horse uh, you would know that you can't just passively sit on a horse as the horse moves like you'll get bounced off the horse you can't just passively sit there you literally have to like move your hips like in sync with the horse moving up and down yeah it's like uh, riding a bull right yeah right it's like yeah like it's not like that's more familiar yeah, than most yeah, people <laughs> yeah you know or even surfing a wave if you just passively stood on a surfboard like no you have to actually move with the undulating water going up and down and whatever mm. right so you know, and sometimes if I say that analogy, you know, people go like, oh, yeah. Or if you can find, you know, you're doing a movement, you say, man, it's literally, you're doing the exact same movement as kicking a football. And people go, oh, my God. Like is it that is. that when you're teaching that we have to kick them in the face when they're down? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's called a soccer kick. Yeah, right? of course. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so if you can find some way to marry it to something that is completely outside of jujitsu, but so second nature to you, yeah, then, uh, then it, becomes almost autonomous and it completely makes sense um as far as concepts it's going to be hard because if your instructor doesn't teach concepts and you're not at the point to understand things to come to the conceptual conclusion on your own it's going to be difficult however you might just and this is also why when we've spoken about why these new young guys are getting so good so quickly and i've said i've in my opinion, it's due to them having a fundamental conceptual understanding of positions and, you know, techniques and whatever that on a base level, even if they don't know all the intricacies, they just know, you know, the, the, the need to know concepts of the, of the position, it carries them a long way, you know, mm. like, uh, like, I don't know if I, if I said to you, Kieran, like, okay, all I need you to know, you're cooking this chicken dish, right? And all I need you to know is that that fundamentally, at I actually don't know what the temperature is internally of chicken when it's not considered raw anymore. I don't know what that is, but you know, you know how like yeah, chefs yeah, will yeah. use a thermometer, right, to put it into meat. If I just said to you, Kieran, here's what you're cooking, just as long as conceptually and fundamentally you know that the chicken can't be pink and it needs to hit this temperature and you're good, right? Like you might fuck up a whole bunch of other stuff, but you ain't serving anyone raw chicken. Yeah, right? I mean, I might and accidentally piss in the pot, but like <laughs> yeah. it's, so, it, it, just because it's urine doesn't mean it's not cooked. Yeah. So we're going to be safe. And so, you know, let's take when people are first getting into leg locks and heel hooks and, you know, and it's we like, talk, okay, well, about in, the knee line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So instead of me teaching you every single leg lock escape, which mm. no, I don't know, nor does anyone in the world know every single technique, right? But if I can just get through to you that, hey, conceptually, like I often explain it like this, if your leg's trapped, you know, it's like you want to keep your legs straight, right? And, mm. and clear the knee line. Because if it's like a nail that's been nailed through a board and then bent over, it like as in your legs bent, you then can't pull it out, right? Mm. Your leg needs to be straight like a nail so you can pull it out. 
conceptually, you need them below your knee line, straight mm. leg, pull the nail out of the bit of wood, and you'd be surprised how some people, students who know nothing, like they don't even <laughs> know what a heel hook is, yet you tell them that, like, hey, man, you don't want to be caught in leg entanglements, straight leg, get your knee line out, mm. and that takes them a, a, a long ways. Other concepts like, you know, half guard, you don't want to get cross-faced and you want to be on your side. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule in jiu-jitsu. So what might benefit you if your instructor doesn't teach in this manner, you could just, you know, ask them, you know, if they could give you like... What if they could just teach a bit better? Or? Yeah, just, just be better, bro. No, but you might ask them like, oh, what's like one fundamental thing that you, you think super important? Mm. So, you know, maybe you're learning an armbar, and you say like, oh, coach, what's like one, Concept you know, what's on one it, yeah. crucial detail or something or what, you know, and they might tell you, you know, that you know, that your hips need to be up under the shoulder or they might explain to you the concept of understanding the, the orientation mm. of the hand and, and wrist dictates the orientation of the elbow mm. and whatever. And even if you forget some of the other details, at least that is going to help. And so going back to the you know, the knee line thing, what if I'm attacking leg locks? I might not know all the perfect entries and ways to expose the heel and whatever, but if I know, hey, I need to stay above their knee line, it's already going to keep the ball in, in, in my hands or in their half of the court, and that's already better. So it's a hard one to answer, unfortunately, because it does depend a lot on how your instructor teaches. But yeah, if journaling's off the table... Is there an option to record the techniques so you can watch them back when you've got a, a fresh mind on a different day? Okay. Um, or, yeah, ask your instructor if there are some key concepts that they can pass on to you. Because, yeah, if you're not at a if it's if you're learning something new, chances are you, you you're not going to find that concept on your own. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to, I mean, when I first started writing down all the techniques that we covered. I, I used to struggle with remembering them to get to, to the point where I'm um, writing them down. I used to remember the first one, and the last one, like recent, like um, like the, the first one, last one. And, and, and that's pretty much it. So I learned these, or I came up with these techniques that helped me to remember them until the end of the class. Cause sometimes I do like the five thirty class and then between there's two and a half hours or sometimes three hours plus. Or sometimes I do it the next day. And that's a long time to remember like details of a technique. So what I do is I try and like break it down into steps or if you if you teach it in steps, which a lot of the time you do, particularly for more complex movements, then I say out loud when I'm drilling um, or even to my partner, I, I talk out loud the different steps. Like yeah. for example, like, oh, step one, do this. And I literally say step one, uh, knee here or step two, uh, left left hand on collar. And I, you know, whenever I write something down, I write it in the perspective of doing my, you know, everyone's got their good side and their bad side. I always write it in the perspective of my good side. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that way it's just default and I always know that that's how it's written. Um, so it, I find that that helps to, like if you say it out loud and, and come up with little like buzz phrases that you understand what they are, it helps you, it jogs your memory to when you get to the point of writing and then you can write it out more efficiently. Yeah, or... It could actually be going the other way. Maybe your your coach is over articulating the techniques, yeah. giving too many details. Yeah, which is uh, I'm not saying he is, but let's just cover this so we cover our bases. If that is the case, I mean it's actually a mistake on the instructor's behalf. You can't give every single detail 
when you're teaching a technique. Like, yeah, maybe you go that route if you're teaching a seminar, like, mm. you know, if or whatever, cause someone's paid a lot of money specifically to learn one thing from you, but it's too much information for, for people to grasp. Yeah. So if, especially if that move is 100% new to them. Mm. So let's say if you were teaching an armbar and you rattled off 200 different details about the armbar, you know. Man, I could rattle off at least 300. Yeah, you know, there may be one or two that are new to me. So it's very easy for me to be like, okay, I'll just remember those one or two things. But if the armbar itself is new, I'm not going to remember 200 things, right? So if it's the case where your coach is over-articulating, he's giving too detailed of an explanation, which some instructors do. They, want, they like to flex how much they know. It's actually yeah. just showing how shit of an instructor you are. If that is the case, then you just pick two or three details and just remember those. Mm. You're 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 making it you're making life too hard for yourself. If they're over articulating and you're trying to remember every single detail, you never will. No one will. Yeah. If they're doing that, just remember one or two. And if you do forget a key detail, there's things that you can do to to help out. Like, and that's like the point. Put your, put your hand up. Yeah, put your hand up question. and ask. But say you're at home and you're like trying to remember to write it down or, or whatever, or you're just trying to remember. Uh, you can look up a similar technique or the same technique on your video portal if you are at a gym that has one. <laughs> <laughs> do gyms do that? Yeah. yeah wow. Well, Submeta. Lachlan Giles has sub. Oh, Lockie has sub. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, that's a different product. Right? Like that's an actual product with a. Like anyone a, can anyone can buy it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's it's freely available to all the, to the students. members, right? Yeah, right, all the, right. all these members, and then they have to go through certain. Like he checks their progress on Submeta, and they have to go through certain um, certain uh, courses on there to get awarded belt progression and all yeah. sorts of stuff, right? Anyway. Um, yeah, so you can do that. You can go through the video portal. You can look it up on YouTube, a similar technique, or you can, this happens to me all the time. I go to write it. I'm like, fuck, I forget this key detail. I know there's a key detail here, or I can't remember like this this middle step or, or what, what to do with my hand. What, what do I do with my fingers? <laughs> um, so, so then the next time I'll come in and I'll ask, oh, hey, Ads, you know that thing we're doing yesterday? What do I do here? Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck. And then and I'm like, it. what ding? No. <laughs> and you're like, remember when we were here? I was like, no. no what, no. huh? Right, we weren't even doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tough one. Hopefully that helps. But yeah, if if, if you've got some follow-up questions, yes, you shoot them through. Okay, next question is from Dan. Dan here. I just had a quick question about open mats. When should you start? Should you just dive in as a beginner or should you have a pretty good idea of how to pass, maintain position, a few submissions that you can rely on or just jump in a deep end and just focus on the fundamentals you've been learning. Cheers, boys. Dan, I think I can answer this one pretty quickly. Uh, if if I were to just put a, a line in the sand somewhere and it's, a, it's only because if I were to put it somewhere, I would say, you know, wait – wait till you're a, a blue belt in the sense that let me, um, if I were, if you were traveling, let's say, and you're so, so you're going to a different city or a different country and you're just going to drop into an open mat and you're like a two strap white belt. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not the thing to do. Uh, it's just, I don't know. Like everyone's different. Some two strap white belts are going to be more skilled than a purple belt. Right. But you know, like some people are freaks. But yeah, if I had to put a line in the sand somewhere, you 
know, blue belt is typically that rank of like, hey, I'm not a brand new beginner anymore. I've got a good fundamental understanding of what's safe, what's unsafe, you know, the rules of the sport, right, mm. you know. Whereas if you're a one-stripe white belt or something and you rock up to an open mat and then you're trying to heel hook another white belt in the gi and chances are the gym owner is then probably going to be pretty pissed off at you, right? <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> uh, who would heel hook in the gi? I don't know. You've got to be at least a white belt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to decide to do that. <laughs> but um, uh, inside uh, joke, sorry. But you know, if it depends on the circumstances. Like I was a zero stripe white belt when I went to my first open mat, but it's because I went with the black belt instructor of the gym that I was training at, and he was like, "Yeah, you can come with me." So uh, I like yeah. went with my coach. You were chaperoned. A, that's right to another gym's open mat, right? And so it was it was fine, and everyone looked after me and whatever. But I wouldn't have gone there, you know, by myself. I mean, it's that that would be my answer to the question. Of course, mm. always exceptions to the rules, but yeah, you, I wouldn't be wanting anyone to arrive because when, as a gym owner, if I'm running an open mat, which when I do, it's open to everyone from any gym or whatever. If I've got someone coming in who, you know, doesn't even know how to hip escape and do an arm bar, it's like, man, you don't know enough for me to leave you unsupervised. It's and a liability. I, that's right. And mean to know that you're not going to get hurt and you're not going to hurt anyone else. It's the same reason why often I don't want to go into the whole like, oh, not being allowed to roll until you've done X amount of classes, whatever. But I typically don't let people roll on their first ever class unless they're, you know, I do it case by case basis. But usually, you let I'll, me roll. <laughs> yeah, but usually I'll say to people, I'll go two reasons why is I'll say, well, even though you're very fit, strong and healthy and you can, you know, do whatever movement, you're not used to trying to do that movement with 80 kilos lying on top of you. And it's just very easy to like hurt your back. And all this strength we have in jujitsu that we take for granted from uh, a lot of repetition, like you get a brand new student and you have an hour class and that whole hour class you're doing close guard. They're learning how to do an armbar, learning how to do a triangle, learning cross collar chokes. The next day they'll tell you their neck sore from holding their head up off the mat. They're not used to that. That's like strength we take for granted. So it's just a, a you know, a, a way of emphasizing that people can be fit, strong, and healthy, but not necessarily in a jujitsu way. So keeping your guard closed—that's a common one, right? They'll have sore ankles, yeah, from there. and, then and they, they can't keep it closed. Like when someone stands up, it just pops open. Yeah, they, they don't have they don't the, have the strength, strength there, and so it's just easy for people get, to get injured on that. You know, mm. th them to injure themselves. Yeah. Not like my students, for example. I know that I could let any one of my students roll with a day one white belt and none of my students are going to injure that white belt. But that white belt may very well injure themselves. Right, I'm going right? straight to neon belly. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I say to them is I go, and man, look, the most important thing for me, for you, uh, for your time here today is for you to get a better understanding of jiu-jitsu, have fun and go home uninjured i said if jiu-jitsu is something you want to do there is plenty of time to get the shit beaten out of you and to beat the shit out of other people in a friendly way right you, yeah. people know what i mean yeah that so, reminds me of a, a young guy no, shut up let me finish gym. which go guy? on oh, don't right, go no well i just wanted to finish the point by go. saying like so if you're not if you're still in that phase of your jiu-jitsu that's not that's not rock up to an open mat material. Cause like you said, it's kind of like they're a liability. Yeah. You know, and me as a gym owner, if someone only had that level of experience, unless they're being chaperoned 
Yeah, or unless it's like one of my students has said, because this has happened, like, you know, a student has said, hey man, can my friend come? And I'm like, oh, do they train? They're like, nah, they've only done like two classes. But it's like my student is then going to look after them, you know? Yeah, of course. So, but once you're past that, which for an arbitrary line, let's say blue belt, but obviously for some people it might be, maybe their gym doesn't give stripes and they're a zero stripe white mm. belt, but they've trained for 12 months or whatever and they're past that, then go for it. Yeah. That would be my answer. I agree. I went but to who my, was the young guy? So oh, the, um, yeah, where someone like a, there was a fairly new white belt. I think we told this story before and he was like, oh yeah, can you go hard? Or like, just don't, oh, don't yeah, go yeah, easy yeah. on me. <laughs> and I was like, fuck man. Yeah, you yeah, were great. He just, and yeah, he was he like halfway through the world. Okay, you can just go, yeah, we can go slow it down now. here. Yeah. Go easy down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I went to my first open mat, I think after about six months of training, I was like three or four stripe um, white belt. Um, but it was an invite from a black belt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I w- it's not like I was chaperoned, but I felt like I knew enough to be able to roll safe. Yeah. I was rolling with the purple belts. And but I yada guess yada. it also depends. I didn't, I can't recall in the question if it was asked a visiting open mat or an open mat at your own gym. Just said open mat. I mean, open mat at your own gym, I feel like you should be allowed to go. Oh, yeah. Regardless of your experience. Yeah. If I was having an open mat at my gym and I had students who had only done three classes, I would explain to them, this is what an open mat is. You're yeah. welcome to come. But I said, there's no instruction. Like, I'll be here, but I'm not teaching. teaching. Yeah. Like, I might be fucking stocking the fridge or like the gym's open. Mm. And but like, that's what because they... T- they probably don't know what an open mat is, right? Yeah. But um, if it's at your own gym, I feel like you should be welcome to go. Yeah, 100%. You're paying a membership. I think we made there, the assumption yeah. that it's like open mat, that like you're, visit, travel, you're yeah, visiting an yeah. open mat, you're going to an open mat. If the open mat is at your gym, definitely go yep. regardless. Um, cool. Okay, so we have... We one more audio we question. Have one more audio, and then if we got time, yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll I'm fit gonna, it in. I just want to bring up this um, the question from the fellow who unfortunately was having. Do you want to go with that one first? We'll go to the uh, the text question because we're going to fit all of them in, and then we'll go with the last audio question. How about we do that? Well, I've got to find this one first. So why don't we go into the? Let's do this. Mm, okay. Just here and play some hold music while I, while I, while I. Dum, 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 dum. I'm very uh, tone deaf, apparently. So I can't keep a tune. That was meant to be the Jeopardy waiting noise. For oh, those, was it? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Jeopardy is a game show for those that don't know. Yep, keep, keep spilling <laughs> facts. No one wants to hear. Go okay. um, um Two plus two is four. Okay, yeah. All right. Let's do this one because I um, also said that I would answer it. Okay, shoot. Um, Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, So I do, this is from Jeffrey. I do two white belt classes a night. um, Sorry, a a week at my school and the structure of the class is 30 minutes self-defense and the last 30 minutes is, is drills on basic passing and defending. I need private lessons, but they charge $150 an hour, which is a bit much. Um, and the instructor charges. Hang on. Oh, and uh, a friend's, a friend of mine said his instructor only charges fifty dollars an hour for privates. Um, will it be all right to do a private lesson with the other instructor to <laughs> learn basics like passing guard, defending guard, blah 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 blah? You know, my my BJJ gym has other classes, but they mostly want white belts to do white belt classes to learn fundamentals. I haven't learned a thing like basics. Um, I'm, so I'm just going to 
before you answer, I, I just want to say I do not really like that format. I'm not a fan of the the class structure. Yeah, yeah. My, I'm my, not a fan. Unfortunately, Jeffrey, my my initial. Uh, yeah, and then because I said I'd answer it, he said, thanks, mate. It's just frustrating that I spend weeks uh, doing white belt classes and not learning any basic moves. So um, unfortunately, Jeffrey, it sounds like the structure at, at your gym is is fundamentally flawed. Uh, if, if they're supposed to be beginner white belt classes and you're not learning, they're beginner not teaching you the basic techniques that they say you need to learn in order to be able to do the rolling and whatever. It almost sounds like that kind of, you know, when a job wants you to have like three years work experience to get the job, to get the entry level job, but you can't get the job. You can't yeah. get the work experience because no one will give you a job. And it's kind of like that yeah. sort of, that sort of old thing. In my opinion, $150 an hour is a lot for a private, unless you're having privates with, um, I don't want to say celebrity jujitsu guys, but a bit more. I think there also depends where you are. I'm not sure where you are in the world, um, Jeffrey, but uh, at least here in Australia, most black belts will charge $100 an hour. Some of the more credible ones, maybe like 120 And then once you start getting into, oh, this guy's- ADCC veteran. And yeah, fucking, yeah, or whatever, maybe 150 or something yeah. like that. And then, you know, the superstars charge absurd amounts because they don't want to teach privates. Like yeah. if you tried to have a private with Craig Jones, he'd probably be like, oh, it's fucking $3,000 because he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't want to teach a private. It, it needs to be such an absurd amount of money that justifies him doing it's it. It's called pricing people out of the market. That's right. Like, exactly. You're not going to say no, but your price is yeah it's high um so without more information jeffrey my it sounds like i'm not a fan of of the gym that you train at the structure just doesn't seem very indicative of uh actually developing your students i mean uh, that sounds harsh to say i'm just going off a message it mm. might be different if we were having a, a face-to-face conversation mm. uh, uh, where i would have a bit more information but it's just not adding up to me. If, you know, it depends on the vibe of your gym as well. I assume if it's the sort of gym that is structured like this, they may not be a fan of you going and doing privates with a different instructor. That m- I might be jumping to conclusions. If they're cool with that, which in my opinion, you don't have to ask them, you're free to do whatever you want. There's nothing wrong with doing doing $50 an hour privates with your, with your friend's instructor. Mm. But something's not adding up that to feel like you need to learn basics, like when you're a white belt, yeah. you feel like you need to already be doing private lessons to learn basics, something's wrong. Man, you, you know, need to like, not – I don't think you should go get privates from your mate's instructor. I think you should go join his gym. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another <laughs> option. Like, out. you know, I, I always I always say that gyms don't own their students and – if. If you don't if own the, me. If the gym is offering a shit service and a shit product, then go shop somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but something really doesn't sit right with me the whole, the, I don't know, maybe this is my biased opinion and feel free if you disagree with this. Look, I'm going to be controversial. I've been told I need to be a little bit more controversial. Yes, you always want to sit on the fence. Yeah, I'm not going to sit on the fence. I think that teaching self-defense jujitsu is a fucking waste of time. No, it's not. I think it is. Why? I think doing like 30 minutes of self-defense jujitsu like what what does self-defense jujitsu look like is it like this is how you block a punch and then go to a takedown this is how you um you know get out of a a headlock 
but that's just jujitsu, right? If you know jujitsu, if you've been training jujitsu for 12 months, unless like notwithstanding like the whole dodging punches and stuff, you'll know how to defend yourself. Yeah. That is your self-defense. Yeah, but you're, you're also ignoring a, a couple of key points as to why <laughs> me saying this as someone who doesn't teach self-defense jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's only because like I'm, I, it has, it has its place is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I don't really teach a lot of it because I'm definitely more just focused on the sport side of jiu-jitsu. But let me tell you the value in teaching self-defense for jiu-jitsu. I think you as someone who's coming from an athletic background is taking for granted how, um, how, like coordinated and how easily you pick it up. I don't think you've trained enough people or interacted with enough people that you your jaw drops at how uncoordinated they are and, and whatever. So self-defense jiu-jitsu does two things. One, it allows people to learn fundamental body movements, not techniques, body movements – that are applicable to jujitsu, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's say we do some very typical, basic self-defense move that is in jujitsu, karate, taekwondo, Hollywood movies, whatever. Someone grabs you around the neck from behind and you do like lean forward and do a hip throw and throw them over you, right? Mm -hmm. Let you take someone who is absurdly uncoordinated, right? And man, some people are. I have students currently who i'll go put your put your left hand there and i go that's your foot <laughs> put your left hand there that's your other foot put your left man like you crazy uh so if you can't do that technique in some very that movement that ignore the word technique if you can't do that body movement how can I expect to teach you how to do a proper Ippon Sionagi or a proper Ogoshi hip throw or, you know, if you can't fall over safely when someone is doing some lame-ass self-defense throw, how can I expect to teach you to fall when someone full does a, you know, Uchimata throw on you, right? Like this is the value in self-defense, learning fundamental movements, right, that we take for granted as people who are already coordinated or whatever. So people who come to jiu-jitsu and they say, oh, I've never done anything like jiu-jitsu, but I did boxing. I go, man, you'd be surprised how much, like, you'll be fine. Just the fact that coordination, their base, their balance, footwork, like, all that translates. Mm -hmm. But when you've, and you'll have this experience one day, once, once you start teaching more, you'll, be, you'll have a brand new person come in one day and you'll be shocked at how, like, like things that we take for granted that we just do. But why do, why do these need to be taught under the pretense of self-defense though? Because it makes zero sense. This, so going back to when, um, whose question was it about the learning, sorry, was uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron's Aaron, question. Yep. Uh, and I said, I like to use analogies to make mm. things relatable to something. It makes zero sense to someone who knows nothing about jujitsu and has come into it for me to say, you do this when they hold your sleeve. They go, why the fuck would I hold their sleeve? It doesn't make any sense. Or you do this when they posture up. Why would they posture? Like it doesn't make any sense. Or so they're going to step their left foot and you do this. Why would they? Uh, uh, but saying like they're going to try to punch you in the face instantly makes sense, even if they've never been in a street fight. Oh, this person's like trying to hold you and drag you off. Makes sense to them. 
doesn't have to have ever happened to them, but it's an instantly relatable, mm. that makes sense to me. I, they're doing this because they're attacking me, but saying something like, you know, they're going to grab this, you know, cross collar grip and you've got to break that grip. They don't understand why, do, like, what's the problem with, why would they grab my collar and why don't I want them to grab my collar? So it doesn't mm. resonate with them, the reasons behind doing the movements. Yeah, okay. Whereas self-defense, there's a reason why I'm doing this movement or technique. And so, so those two things together allow people to learn the body movements that are required. It's the same as how often do you ever really actually do, can happen sometimes, but a, a front roll is in a shoulder roll and a back roll in jiu-jitsu. Like that isolated movement, not very often, right? No, front roll, barely ever, back roll sometimes. Right? Yeah. Mm. But if, I, if you can't safely do a front shoulder roll and a back roll, on your own in an isolated environment, how the fuck can I expect you to invert when you have someone's body weight on top of you mm. and not blow out your neck and your mm. back? Impossible. If you can't front roll and back roll, it's I'm going to find it very unlikely that you're going to be able to invert and do a bolo. So it's a fundamental body movement that you need to learn. Right. So what you're saying is, and feel free to jump in if I got this wrong, you're saying that self-defense, teaching beginners self-defense jiu-jitsu in unto itself is a vehicle to get basic jiu-jitsu concepts and fundamental movements down and you're using self-defense so that they understand in an everyday context why these movements are important yes it's very similar to why when you go to a learn to surf class that mm. you that you literally start on the beach paddle yeah. on the board that's on the sand because yeah. you'll you have to learn the movement they don't just go oh well why don't they just learn the movement while they're doing it on the wave because that's very fucking hard right yeah. like you got to learn the okay. fundamental movements before you can put it into you know and then and then you add the fact that jiu-jitsu is way more dynamic and complicated and uh doesn't make sense to people who aren't educated about it than right. surfing. Someone who's never surfed, they still understand like, well, there's a wave and I'm trying to catch that. But, you know. I think I was getting hung up on the fact that um, like as a blue belt now, not saying that I'm, I know everything about jiu-jitsu, but I think that if I was to go do a self-defense jiu-jitsu class, unless it's an MMA style, uh, like jiu-jitsu for MMA, which is, you know, different in my mind. I think that a self-defense jiu-jitsu class at this point would be a waste of time. and It would 100% be a waste of therefore time. Therefore, I'm thinking, why, why bother yeah, with no. it? Because it doesn't it serve a purpose for you anymore. Yeah. Right? You've already, like this paddling, paddling and standing up on a board on the beach doesn't serve a purpose for someone who can already catch waves. Yeah. Right? Um, other than, you know, like doing, self, yeah, doing self-defense now as a, you know, whatever belt you are, you might be a black belt. Yeah, you're still moving your body. You're still revising techniques, whatever. Mm. You're going to be helping lower belts and whatnot. But yeah, if, you, if you're just talking about it like, uh, you know, you don't, let's say we skip it. Someone like you who's never done a self-defense jiu-jitsu techniques, but you train and compete in the sport of jiu-jitsu, mm. in my opinion, you're already competent in self-defense. Like it doesn't, like you that's, don't- That's the frame of mind I came yeah. into this. I was like, yeah. well, why fucking bother with the self-defense? Why yeah. not just go straight to the competence? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So obviously okay. there's always going to be a bit of overlap. There'll be a bit of overlap where you'll reach a point. So even if you're someone who is comes in green, uncoordinated, you've started with these self-defense, there'll be that transition period where you'll be feeling like, I don't need to do this anymore. This is a waste of time. And, you know, yeah. and then you'll get to a point where you, 
I don't want to say never do it again, but at least in my opinion with sport jiu-jitsu, that's, um, that's where self-defense self serves its purpose. Right. You know, and because it's also, look, sometimes you do self-defense workshops, where, and we've spoken about this in other episodes, you're trying to just get some core bite-sized information across to people. Um, I mean, I've helped you film a self-defense workshop for beginners. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, thinking back to that, there's a lot of self-defense air quote concepts there that lead themselves into jujitsu positions. Yeah. And I could see the link because I had enough jujitsu experience at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't like you, it's very hard for people if you remove that link and we take it for granted, right? Yeah. We take for granted how, how basic a, uh, hip escape is or yeah front rolls are another good one and people just brand new people come in and the instructors just go yeah just follow along and then some dude tries to do a front roll and they jack their neck yeah. and it's their first ever time in the class yeah. you know like you don't sit there going when do i have a front roll in jiu-jitsu why do i need this well it's, it's just the, the movement yeah you need the movement yeah no, that makes sense and it, it reminds me of when i started jiu-jitsu i had this mentality that you need to get fit to do jiu-jitsu not do jiu-jitsu to get fit and now that I've spent time in the sport, I realize how dumb that is. So I think maybe this is another like um, taking for granted my- You just me. learned so much here with me. Oh, I learned so much in this. This, this <laughs> podcast is not just the podcast. It's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> but, you're uh, on it with us. But yeah, Jeff, that's we got down a rabbit hole with, with your question. So I don't know, man. It's we, with that limited- oh, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, With the limited information you're giving us, like you also just- casually said i need to do privates you mean is in there saying you have to do privates okay to if they're saying that to you if your instructor is like you need to do privates to, to progress, be allowed yeah that's bro that's red flag yeah, fuck yeah, off get, get out of there out. um yeah i would be bailing yeah that 100%. was the case there but, but if you feel like you need to do privates because you're not getting enough out of these classes i would want to know how long you have to do these classes for is it for the entire duration of white belt is it for 12 months because if you told me that i had to do self-defense jujitsu and then drilling for 12 months no rolling before i was allowed to roll or progress or whatever i'd, I'd be yeah. like nah man yeah i'm going to crazy baja yeah. like <laughs> again i don't want i don't want to like burst any bubbles but limited information based just on that if i if i had access to no more information my opinion would be find a new gym yeah but obviously that I may be jumping to conclusions. Feel free, Jeff, to come back with more information. Yeah, and, and we'll cover it. We, we won't even, we, we will cover it in like the next episode. Yeah, we'll we, won't like wait till, we won't wait till the next uh, Q&A. Yeah. Uh, and that goes for everyone's questions. Yeah, you know, if you, if you have a little follow-up sort of asterisk caveat you, you want to add in, yeah. let us know. But um, but yeah, Jeff, hope, hopefully that helps. And hopefully Kieran's learned that self-defense does serve a purpose. Yeah, I think uh, I've come around <laughs> to the idea for... For, for that purpose, for beginners, in that case, it, I think it makes sense. Now. But it's also self-defense, regardless of what martial art or sport is teaching it, people also like don't understand that self-defense is it's something that only works against people who don't train a combat sport. Yeah. That's what it's designed for. 100%. Because your typical self-defense technique that you learn in a jiu-jitsu class won't work against someone else who trains jiu-jitsu. That's why then you have that link to go into, well, this is why it wouldn't work because this is why they want to grab your collar and this is why you want to break that collar grip. Like now we're going into this chess game of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And it's the same for every, you know, self-defense is designed to work on some someone who doesn't train a combat sport and they're trying to pick you up. Like, I mean, if, yeah, if some dude's grabbing you from behind 
to like assault you or something and he doesn't train jujitsu, you're going to be like, this is the self-defense technique you do. If some dude is grabbing you from behind to assault you and he also happens to be a black belt in jujitsu, what do you do? You're well, fucked. I, yeah, I could teach you a jujitsu technique, but it's going to be rough, bro. You're, you're, already, grabbing by the balls. you're already starting at a disadvantage. So yeah. people got to remember that when it comes to self-defense as well. I've always wondered what would happen in like a street fight scenario where two guys get into it. They don't know each other from a bar of soap, right? They get into it and then it comes very apparent that they both- I've Yeah, they both <laughs> trade jiu-jitsu. Like, oh, hang on. But they stop with them. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like maybe they're in a scuffle and then someone ends up on the bottom and all of a sudden a De La Hiva hook goes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Like, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. whoa. They just stop and look at each other and <laughs> just start making out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or, or one of them would be like, wuss. The other's like, wuss. <laughs> oh, so they- yeah. <laughs> Like two, two body was like protein, 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 protein. Yes. Natty, 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 natty. Uh, natty. All right, final question. Uh, last one is from Andre. Let's go with this question. Hi guys, greetings from Romania. Uh, I am a 32 years white belt, uh, which started about two months ago. And since then I very much enjoy your podcast. I think I listened to uh, all the episodes. <laughs> um, my question will be more on the conditioning side. So our instructor uh, recently added rolling at the end of the classes. And I noticed I guess out quite quickly. I think two, three minutes in or maybe one roll round is the most I can get. Then I'm basically guessed out. And uh, I think one of the main reasons would be that I find myself uh, thinking a lot because I'm not sure what should be my next move. Uh, and also I find myself applying force probably more than necessary. So the the question would be, what do you think will, will be better to either improve the conditioning or maybe uh, try to improve the technique? Uh, um, yeah, so that's it. Thanks. Excellent question. Yeah, thanks for the question. All the way from Romania. Shout out to Romania. Yeah. So I can talk at length about the conditioning side of things, the, the strength improving your, your gas tank and everything like that. But I think from the outset, you need to throw in this caveat. Anytime you talk about training outside of jiu-jitsu for jiu-jitsu's sake, specifically when it comes to um, strength and cardio or SNC strength and conditioning, you need to caveat with obviously t technique is always going to be the superior as in technique is always going to be more important than strength and more important than uh, conditioning and any sort of athletic ability. Right. And, and that's a given. And the example that we we're just talking about, obviously if you have someone that knows jujitsu, the smaller guy beats the bigger guy. That's the, that's the funny thing. But as you always say, what if they both change jiu-jitsu? Who's going to win then? Yeah, that's right. That's why we have weight divisions. Exactly. Yeah. The stronger guy. Yeah. The stronger guy's going to win. Um, yeah. So as Kieran mentioned, you could speak a lot about different programs you can follow different. I mean, we did an episode just a couple of weeks ago that was, you know, top five lifts for, mm. for, or for jiu-jitsu. But, but my advice would be, well, firstly, don't be that shocked with yourself, Andre. It's very common in the beginning. It's very foreign. It, but, Usually, the let me. I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt. Assume you're a fit, healthy person. Uh, it usually comes down to a lack of being energy efficient, mm, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not even necessarily that the the higher belts are fitter than you 
or stronger than you or whatever. Obviously, that may be the case as well. But it's usually just due to their experience, they're much more efficient with their energy. So, uh, and that, that happens for two reasons. One, the lack of experience results in you finding yourself in multiple situations where you don't know what the appropriate technique is or the conceptual, you know, a goal that you're working towards is. So therefore you just resort to uh, using the only other resources you have, which are your physical attributes. And they start to run out very quickly when they're being used in the incorrect with the imp- incorrect application. What I mean by that is, you know, you don't know what technique you're supposed to use. And if you did know the correct technique, you would be able to use some of the re- your strength resource, for example, to use that technique, apply it correctly, and it's not going to cost as much strength and you'll whatever, progress. But when you don't know the technique, you're just spending strength. Like, you don't know, fuck, spend a bit of strength here, a bit there, a bit there. What the fuck am I doing? And then all of a sudden you've spent all your strength resource and you're gassed. Uh, but yeah, so that's one, one way. And then the, the inexperience kind of often you see beginners having the wrong mentality about the, about the round. So a jujitsu match is, it's not a hundred meter sprint, right? Nor is it a marathon. It's somewhere in between. It's maybe like, if you imagine you're doing a five kilometer cross-country run so it's five kilometers a very difficult length to think you can sprint for five kilometers you also can't just slowly jog for five kilometers so because you're going to lose so there's going to be periods of time where you're where you are sprinting periods where you're pacing yourself but it's like cross-country there'll be periods where you're going uphill periods where you're going downhill right and you're going to approach that race based on the terrain in a different way. So there'll be periods where you are sprinting, periods where you have to slow down and, you know, like the the bit in the cross-country race where you're going up a 40-degree slope is probably not the period of the race that you'll decide to sprint, right? <laughs> It'll be the like, okay. That's when you pass everyone. Though. Yeah, yeah, right? And so, uh, you know, the, the flat section might be the bit where you're sprinting to get past someone or it might be the, the portion of the race where you've slowed down to recover because you just came up that massive fucking hill. So you're, Mm. you know, recouping some energy. So it's kind of like that. New people tend to just approach a role as if it's a a hundred meter sprint. Like it's at zero to a hundred the whole time and they gas, right? Even, you know, you can't put, what's the the marathon guy, Kipchoge, the, the guy who did the marathon in under two hours. Um, I, I know of him. Yeah, I just can't remember. It's Kipchoge something. I can't okay. remember his full name. Uh, but yeah, even he can't sprint for two hours. No mm. one can sprint for that long, right? Mm. I mean, the longest you really sprint for is like 200 meters. The 200 meter race is still a sprint. I think once you get to the 400 and 800 in athletics, pacing starts coming into it. Yeah. Right? 400, you know, 400, we're still talking like a sprint ish, yeah, yeah. but it's not like 100, you're like a 90% sprint. 800, definitely strategic. Anything plus on that, very yeah, strategic exa- in pacing. Yeah. So, so that could be a factor as well, Andre. So that, yeah. that lack of experience results in incorrect resource management. And that's usually why the gassing out happens. If yeah. you're not fit and healthy, like I, like I said, if I just gave you the benefit of the doubt, said you're fit and healthy. If you're not, then that's okay, man. Like fitness is going to come with it. You yeah. know, I've got plenty of students who when they started after two minutes were gassed and now they do multiple 10-minute rounds and they're fine. You know, mm. the fitness will come. If you are fit and healthy and wondering why you're gassing, 
this would be my efficiency. assumption. Yeah, Definitely efficiency is usually the thing. I thought but of an I'll analogy. Throw, oh, here we go. So think of yourself as a car, right? When you're a beginner to jiu-jitsu, the gears of the car, it's a manual, manual transmission, the gears of the car is like your levels of technique. When you first start, you only have available to you first gear. So you need to put in a lot of gas to get up speed, right? And speed is your output of jiu-jitsu, right? So the speed of the car is your, like you actually doing something in jiu-jitsu. So in, in the beginning, you're like redlining it just to get like 40 kilometers an hour, right? As you progress in jiu-jitsu, you unlock more gears. So it's easier for the car to travel. Therefore, Without you, having to run at such high revs. Exactly. And the higher revs you run, the more fuel you're going to use. The literal fuel in this analogy is your fuel, is your, your gas, gas tank. tank. Your bum, gas bum, tank. Bum. So the more efficient you get, uh, i.e. you're able to change gears, and that is your technique, then the faster you can go with the least amount of gas used. Yeah, that's all right analogy. Fuck, that was brilliant. It wasn't too bad. Clip that. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on YouTube. It wasn't too bad. All right. Yeah, so but obviously I'll throw it back to Kieran. He's, uh, I can see <laughs> I've on got his like a list. whole page of fucking notes here. Yeah, uh, but he's got a few resources that you can look at if you're wanting to add supplementary training. So now that we've got the, the technique efficiency with that capped off with that beautiful analogy, you're welcome. <laughs> Let's talk about cardio for jiu-jitsu. So there's a few different types of cardio that you need to talk about, but I'm going to break it down into two main categories. You have cardio-based training, which elevates your 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 base floor of cardio output. And then you have hit cardio, which talks about sprinting, makes you more efficient and makes you able to sprint harder for longer, right? So let's talk about aerobic base first. When we talk about aerobic base, think about cardio output. You're going for a jog, a very light jog, a conversational pace. When you get to a certain threshold, you're going to chop from that conversational pace where you can pretty much do it all day, like it's kind of like hiking pace. You can hike for hours and hours and hours without stopping at this zone. As soon as you step it up just a little bit and you cross the threshold, you get into the lactic acid zone and you can no longer maintain that pace for as long. So cardio-based training basically lifts the ceiling of that base. So your threshold is a lot, like in terms of heart rate, is higher. So heart rate is one way to measure uh, this, this threshold and it's called zone two zone two training. So zone three is past the threshold. Zone two, you're in conversational pace. So if you lift that ceiling, you can essentially maximize the amount of output you can operate at before you cross the threshold. That's important for jujitsu for those moments that you were talking about before when you're coasting. Like you can coast a bit harder than someone else can coast. So your coasting is their threshold, right? That's a good position to be in. So to get into zone two, there's a quick formula you can do to figure out what your heart rate is at zone two. It's 220 minus your age in years, and that is your uh, maximum heart rate. So then you take uh, 220, let's just go through an example, minus 220 minus 27 equals 193. That's my maximum heart rate. To figure out what my zone two is, it's 70 to 80% of that number. So 70 to 80% of 193 is rounded off, it's 135 to 155. So if my heart rate is in that in that region, I'm in zone two. So the point of telling you this is a way you can improve your uh, aerobic base or your zone two training is to do 90 minutes of cardio, whatever cardio you like. It can be swimming, it can be cycling, hiking, walking with a weight vest or a light jog, or even walking uphill, walking on the treadmill, whatever. So long as you stay within that 70 to 80% of your max heart rate. 
do that. If your max heart rate's one ninety three, what happens if you go over it? That's a, it's a very rough estimate, very yeah. rough estimate. But if you do get above your your maximum heart rate, yeah, it can be very dangerous. That's why people that aren't fit. That's why they say always consult with your doctor before you do any. Hang before on. you so add let anything, me do right? a quick. So when I was. So one of my most punishing workouts ever yeah. was in Brazil. I'm not going to tell the whole story now, but I was probably, what would I have been? I would have been close to 30 at the time. Yeah. So 190. Um, so let's say 28, I think I probably was a bit closer to. Case. So that puts me at 192. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had this workout where I hit over 200. Yeah. Sure. So, so to right. go over it in short stints is fine, but if you're very unfit and you're, going well and truly above your max heart rate for your age, that's when it does become dangerous. Yeah, like, right. I mean, yeah, it would require, probably require you to have an underlying heart condition or something like that, but it can be very, it can be fatal if you push yourself higher above your maximum heart rate for too long. Yeah, yeah right. That's why exercise can be dangerous. Anyway, so if you don't have a heart rate monitor, you don't feel like you have to go buy one, just do the talking test. So, so long as you can maintain your current cardio output and still maintain a conversation, so the, the analogy is like if you're on the phone, someone you should be able to maintain a conversation on the phone, but the person on the other end should know that you're exercising. They should hear it in your voice. Like so not so conversational that you're la-di-da, like you should be huffing and puffing, but you're still able to talk, right? So that's aerobic base. That will address the aerobic base. Next thing you can do is interval training and, and cardio, circuit training, any sort of interval training. Depending on the interval, depends what it trains. So if you do interval training, that's around four minutes, as in it's your like 90% maximum effort for four minutes straight, that will work your VO2 max. So that's really, really beneficial for jiu-jitsu athletes because VO2 max is a key contributor to your cardio output as well. Uh, and it's perfect time length for uh, jiu-jitsu bouts because in a match, like you're not going 100% or even 90% for the whole 10 minutes. You're sort Ooh, of- Oh, you are in white belt matches <laughs> at competitions. Yeah, holding <laughs> off a dear life. But like, like you mentioned, there's ebbs and flows. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the- the ebb on a you know a world's match is probably eighty percent of both competitors' max, yeah, or like yeah, seven, yeah. depending on the match. Obviously, mm. we, we, I digress. So you can do that interval training, four minutes. So do uh, a protocol is four rounds or four minutes of ninety percent max effort. So by the end of the four minutes, you should be begging for it to end with full recovery in between. So four to six minutes in between the rounds. That's an excellent little, little workout. Or you can do hit which is high intensity interval training. So we're reducing the uh, interval, but increasing the intensity. And a really good protocol is called Tabata. Uh, for those that don't know, Tabata is 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off for four minutes. And it sucks. It sucks. So it's eight rounds total for a total time of four minutes. Now you can get, there's this actually a really awesome playlist on Spotify. And I think it's literally just called uh, Tabata Songs. Yep. I've got it here, Tabata songs. I'll put a link to that in the show notes um, in, in the description of this episode. And the songs are four minutes. They give you a countdown and it's a really easy way to track Tabata. Plays a song. It's all like mixed really nice. It's great. Or you can just go and download an app if you want to listen to your own music or whatever. There's a million and one Tabata timer apps. Now, in terms of what you should be doing during those Tabata sets, you can do anything from like circuit training. Like you can do uh, kettlebell swings. You can do push-ups. You can do squats. You can do pre pretty much any exercise, but the most efficient are things cardio based so i'm talking like aerodyne bike sprints skipping rope. skipping rope um you can do swimming well, swimming is a lot harder but you can um 
or you can do cycling sprints or treadmill sprints. So those combinations are probably the best. Aerodyne sucks, man. It is tough, but it's very, very efficient and excellent for jiu-jitsu because it incorporates both your arms and your legs. Yep. And finally, you can do circuit training. Um, the circuit training example I have here is my personal favorite because it's the easiest to remember and it's the most fun um, in terms of circuit training. It's called Lucky Sevens. And it's very simple. You choose seven exercises, you do seven rounds and you guessed it for seven reps and you go through and just do it for time. So an example one that I put together here incorporates push, pull, legs, core and cardio. So the first one of the first exercise is explosive push-ups. Second exercise is jumping squats, uh, then crunches, kettlebell deadlifts, kettlebell swings, kettlebell shoulder press and the core exercise V-ups. And then just do a 50 meter uh, little jog in between each round. Do that seven times through for time. That should take you anywhere from 10 if you're in very fit to, to 20 minutes. So anywhere within there, 10 to 20 minutes. Um, most people will fall around that 15 to 20 minute range. And of course, working on your mobility will make you more efficient and that will save you energy as well. Thinking back to the car analogy or as well as technique, the more efficient you are with your body movements, the, the more gas you're going to be able to save. Yeah. So that. Or just buy an automatic car, bro. And fucking can ignore it. Technically, it still has gears. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. If, if you enjoyed that little um, write up, I do have a BJJ performance and longevity instructional out with uh, Jordan Teaches Jiu Jitsu. When this episode comes out, just as a little shameless plug, we do have our Black Friday sale on. Oh, yeah. So check that out if you are interested. I'll put a link to that in, in the show description as well. Um, but yeah, that that's a wrap for this Q&A. Yeah, what a good one, guys. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions. Uh, like we said halfway through, uh, the YouTube episodes are, have moved on to a different channel. We'll put something on Insta Instagram as well that <laughs> reminds people of that and whatnot. But um, yeah, if you have any anyone's question that we got to today... If you had follow-ups that you wanted to add more information, let us know and we'll get to it uh, next recording. But yeah, already send questions for the next one. If you have anyone listening who would like a question answered, it won't be till episode 130, which is the next Q&A, but you can always send them through. They Please sit, do. Yeah, they yeah. sit there in our data bank. We don't... Uh, we don't delete them. We'll always get to them. So please send through any questions. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, much longer one. I think this will be the longest episode we may have longest done. Longest episode we have done. Um, but they were all great questions. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure um, getting to them. And uh, until then, enjoy your Black Friday deal. I hear there's a good instructional that you can get, right? <laughs> right, right? The best. The best. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.